We go and grab a quick bite. We watch a movie, then fight. We're the Fast Food Film Friends. You're listening to Fast Food Film Friends, the show hosted by a billionaire philanthropist slash vigilante and a pale trickster with an affinity for wordplay. I'm really curious which one you think I am on that one. This week, we are talking about the Batman while eating Wendy's hot honey chicken sandwich. From IMDb, the plot summary of the Batman reads as follows. When the Riddler, a sadistic serial killer, begins murdering key political figures in Gotham, Batman is forced to investigate the city's hidden corruption and question his family's involvement. And from Wendy's.com, the new hot honey chicken sandwich features a crispy chicken breast, melted pepper jack cheese, three strips of applewood smoked bacon. Wendy's just loves bacon. Crispy pickle chips and hot honey on a toasted premium bun. Now, this sandwich comes in both spicy and non-spicy varieties. Mm-hmm. We got both, mm-hmm. of course. We're going to cross-section those and share them. Yes. Um, kind of tell me about, like, right now in the fast food game, yep. if you just thought to yourself, I want to have a chicken sandwich. Yeah. What would that journey look like for you? Man, you know, it's always hard for me because I, there's so many out there. I don't know which one I even like the best. Shake Shack's got a mean chicken sandwich. Mm-hmm. Popeye's, I think, is still probably my favorite. But anywhere you go now, you can get a pretty decent chicken sandwich. Even McDonald's has their decent little crispy chicken guy. So I think the market's just saturated. And I think, you know, you got to stand out with your chicken sandwiches now. You got to drizzle some hot honey on it. You got to do some dried pickled chips. That's right. You got to do something to get flashy because otherwise you're going to get overshadowed by, you know, Popeye's. It's the industry standard, I would say. And mm-hmm. I don't know who else out there is doing chicken sandwiches, but I'm sure everyone's got one in the works. I think they've all got one. And even like you mentioned with McDonald's, where it's like they've had the McChicken for years, oh, which yeah. is like almost not chicken. Correct. But now every <laughs> restaurant also has their. Popeyes or the Chick-fil-A competitor, which yep. is like a nice, big, crispy chicken breast. Big chunk of meat. So a lot of these places, they've got two or three chicken sandwiches to choose from. Yeah. There's just so many out there. Too many. And there's some that I know, like, um, I've tried the Burger King chicken sandwich. And it's yeah. like, there's nothing about it. Like, they're trying to do mm-hmm. what what everyone else is trying to do. And nothing's different. They're not the best. They're yeah. not the first to it. It actually reminds me of, I once read some really good advice for anyone looking to get into Content creation (laughs) or fast food. Basically, anyone who wants to be like a YouTuber or an Instagrammer or a podcaster or anything, Mm -hmm. you have to do one of three things in order to actually succeed. You have to either be the first, one of the first to your medium or be the best at what you do Mm -hmm. or just be different. Yeah. And if you aren't one of those things, your content will make no impact and not last. Yeah. And I think that with chicken sandwiches, it's a similar thing where it's like, when you have every chain trying to like chase that, because the chicken sandwich became, we all remember what happened to Popeyes. Oh, yeah. Like they just had a chicken sandwich. That's it. Mm-hmm. It just had pickles and mayo. Yep. And people were lining up for hours Around to eat it. Block. So every single other chain is like, how we do we get in on this? Yeah. And it's now become this, this market where it's, yeah, I, I can't imagine that every place is really selling them that well because there's just so many to choose from. Yeah. There's just too many. There's too many to choose from. And I'm glad that we're all three first, best, and different uh, for our podcast, Nathan. Uh, I think I think we're doing that right. But there's too many out there. And, and I think, you know, we we get stressed out trying to think of what chicken sandwiches to eat. We wanted to avoid that issue. This wasn't what we wanted to eat today. Uh, we had other plans in mind to try KFC's Impossible Nuggets. Uh, and those were just thrown out the window. Once again, our plans. <laughs> More chicken collapsing. that was just thrown to the wayside. Because uh, KFC has apparently discontinued their Impossible Nuggets. It would seem so. I mean, I saw one review online of somebody just absolutely trashing them. Uh, and then I just, I assumed they would keep them around for the vegetarians who love to go to KFC. 
Uh, but apparently they weren't working. I don't know. I, you know, I'd like to keep forward thinking today. We got some hot honey chicken. Like you said, it's, it's a little bit different. It's got these pickled chips on them. It's, it's, you know, it's got that hot honey dripping off in the picture. I hope it's dripping off in my mouth when I eat this. It will be. And this whole conversation about chicken sandwiches reminds me of kind of the current state of superhero movies Mm -hmm. or where we've been for years now, which is where if you like superhero movies, guess what? You get one every month. At least. Good on you. Yeah. But it takes something special Mm -hmm. to make a, I guess, a serious impact anymore. Like, like Spider-Man No Way Home was just a monster hit. And they clearly, without saying why, they clearly did something different with that movie that made it stand out among any other Marvel or Sony or DC films. Yeah. I think going into the Batman, I was curious to see, we've seen so many iterations of this character in this world. And how is this going to stand out? And I'm really excited to talk to you very soon about how they did it. I am very excited to talk about this movie. And I, I feel like, I feel like people are losing their minds about this movie. Like I've read so many things online. This is the best Batman ever. And, and, I am going <laughs> to, it's going to be an interesting conversation because I've got some, some nits to pick with this one. And I also, I just, I feel like I'm going to ruffle some feathers with some of my takes on this movie. But I mean, I think that without even getting into it, we can agree that, and I've had many conversations about this movie in the last few days since yeah. I've seen it. It's, I think, provocative in a way that whether you love it or hate it or feel in between, you're going to feel things about it. Yeah. And yeah. for that alone... I, I love when a blockbuster can do that. So I on agree. that level, I, agree. I would already say, even regardless of what our opinions are, it's great <laughs> this exists and it's cool that we get to all see it, it and, is. and share in this conversation. <sighs> um, we're going to get there very soon. Yeah. And before that, you and I need to knock out some nimble news. It's been a bit. Nimble news. Kevin, nimble news is the part of the show where we review all things new as quickly as we can do. That means new music, series, maybe purchases, experiences, even new food or movies that we don't have time for in our main discussion. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? I am ready. Why don't you go? Nathan, after our letdown of the Arby's Double Dare burger... Uh, chicken sandwich? What the hell were those? Burgers? Uh, Diablo Dare... Uh, burger? Sandwich? I think they were chicken. Chicken sandwiches? Yeah. Really mixing it up today. Look at us. <laughs> Uh, after that letdown of them not being very spicy at all, you know, I was kind of just, uh, you know, meandering through life, wondering about purpose and everything like that. And I came across a bag of Chex Mix in the store that said hot and spicy. And they had like, you know, those triangle signs with the exclamation mark in the middle. It's like, you know, like, a, warning see on like a nuclear reactor or something. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, it had that on it. It said danger, really freaking hot. And I thought, you know, my dreams have been dashed before. I don't ready. I'm not ready to get hurt again. And I almost left without buying it. And then I went back and I said, no, this has to be spicy. This has to be redemption. <laughs> and I bought the bag. Not a little bag of Chex Mix, not a huge bag of Chex Mix, kind of the middle of the road size. And I got it home, took it out. And they are so fucking hot. <laughs> I cannot explain to you how hot these things were. They cleared my sinuses right up. I was I, you know, ready to believe in the world again and packaging. Uh, Chex Mix Hot and Spicy. If you like burning hot, spicy things, I would highly recommend these. I ate the whole bag, felt absolutely horrendous afterwards, uh, but they live up to the danger really freaking hot symbol on the bag. And if you're looking for something spicy, if you've been let down by things that you thought were going to be spicy, Chex Mix Hot and Spicy is where it's at. I recently learned about how there's this, um, like some sort of challenge where they 
I don't even know what the organization is, but they challenge like designers to think of what's like a visual way we can communicate how dangerous nuclear waste is for future generations, like long beyond our languages exist. How do we tell people don't go here? Yeah. And it's really interesting seeing the things they come up with, like the different signage that like can universally mean extreme danger. Yeah. And I'm glad that the checks has, you know, they're (laughs) utilizing that, that triangular, like, no matter who you are, where you're from, if you yeah. see this, you will know. Yeah. Don't eat this. Yeah, correct. And if you do, you will hate yourself afterwards. Correct. And that's absolutely spot on in my in my experience. Kevin, every year in the lead up to the Academy Awards, we like to watch the Oscar-nominated shorts <laughs> at our local AMC. That's right. It's become a favorite pastime of mine, even though I'm typically left scarred by the experience. 100%. <laughs> I think it was the 2019 live-action shorts that we saw together with friends and each short depicted just relentless suffering. And then mm-hmm. we grabbed dinner afterwards and just sat quietly, yeah. completely heartbroken. <laughs> but we still go back every year. Yes. Um, this year, first, saw the animated shorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, what you can expect to get from this bunch is a, a handful of cute and sweet ones like Pixar shorts. Uh, maybe yeah. a couple that are a bit more sad, but they're still bearable. Mm-hmm. And then you might have you know, ones more experimental, maybe one that's more scary. Uh, this year's theme was all-out graphic nudity. Yeah, yeah. Other than the first short they play, which is called Robin Robin, and it's a stop-motion short available on Netflix. Adorable. I really like that one. I think it's going to win the Oscar. Yeah. I would recommend watching it at home and skipping the rest of these. <laughs> uh, the second one they played was a Russian one called Box Ballet, which kind of hated. Really? After that one, there was a warning on the screen saying that the rest of the shorts, three out of the five, are absolutely not suitable for children. Yes. I would argue they're not suitable for anyone looking to enjoy themselves. <laughs> um, one of them features some very nonchalant bestiality. Yep. Another one thoroughly examines the aging human body. I'll just say yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, the last one, called The Windshield Wiper, has a really nice animation style. It's going for more of like a vibe than a story, which yeah. was a real letdown for me. I am someone that appreciates weird art that mm-hmm. takes risks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really wanted to enjoy these shorts, but they did not do it for me. Yeah. What did do it for me, for the most part, were the live action shorts, which yeah. had oh. a lot of variety. And I thought they were pretty good. Yeah. I think that um, Riz Ahmed is going to win the Oscar. Yeah, His short called The Long Goodbye. He produced, starred in, did the music for. Um, there's one short that's about a guy wrongfully imprisoned called mm-hmm. Please Hold. There's also one uh, about a woman who's kidnapped and forced into marriage called take and run both of those i think they both left me really wanting more and i could see them getting expanded into feature length films but they were so well made i think my favorite was actually one called the dress it was very well acted it hit me like a ton of bricks by the end to me it felt like the most complete story of the group and there was a very sad one called on my mind that Mm -hmm. i you know we were going along i didn't think it would get me me but then the last shot it got me it got me too nathan overall I'm left with very little hope for humanity, mm-hmm. but a lot of hope for great filmmaking. And I cannot wait to do it again next year. Yeah. Um, I, I love going to see these shorts, even though they are just always depressing. Uh, very depressing. And just they remind you of all the horrible people and horrible things in the world that can happen and do happen. And it's like, <laughs> it's kind of like life just grabbing us and saying like, hey, You've got it good. Yes. Look at what your life could be every yes. year. It's like, God damn, everything could be so much worse. Um, I didn't like any of the shorts that much this year. Really? Um, I liked Riz's. I, I mean, 
I shouldn't say that. I liked some of them fine, but I wasn't like, oh my God, that was amazing by any of them. And usually there's yeah. at least one where I'm like, that's the winner. That's the clear winner. I love it. Um, overall, pretty let down. Kind of just meh about them all. But who knows? Maybe it's the gray weather. Maybe it's, you know, uh, KFC discontinuing Impossible Nuggets. I don't know. Uh, but overall, meh. Robin Robin's fine. Nathan, I tried a key lime pie Kit Kat. Ooh, I got a picture for you here because I want you to see what it looks like. Oh, yeah. Uh, they are essentially a normal Kit Kat, but lime green on the outside uh, with normal stuff on the inside. Uh, crisp wafers and key lime pie flavored cream naturally and artificially flavored, so you know it's good. I'm glad uh, there's some nature in there. Yeah, I am too. Uh, wasn't sure about these. I'm a big key lime pie guy. Big Kit Kat guy as well. And these work so incredibly well. I cannot explain to you how good this was. I had my doubts. I didn't think it was going to be good. Popped one stick into my mouth, and I said, the rest are toast. I'm going through this whole <laughs> whole thing. Um, super good if you can find them. I'm not sure if they're readily available. They were at my little corner bodega. Uh, a lot of stuff there can be out of date. You know, who knows, <laughs> out of season. I don't know when these were from. But if you can find a key lime pie Kit Kat, I would highly recommend putting it in your mouth. Kevin, I saw Marry Me, the latest <laughs> rom-com starring Jennifer Lopez as a pop superstar whose fiancé, played by the Colombian singer Maluma, is caught cheating on her. <laughs> I thought you were about to say Owen Wilson. I was like, <laughs> what is going on? He's caught cheating on her just before they plan to get married on stage at a concert. So she looks into the crowd, points to a man, played by Owen Wilson, mm -hmm. and marries him instead. Of course. If you've seen the trailer for this film, and that trailer triggered any thoughts in your brain, no matter what those thoughts were... Your expectation of this movie will be completely met. If you thought, that looks like a cute movie filled with fun music and people I enjoy looking at, then you will get exactly that. If you thought, that looks like an absurd premise mm -hmm. that no amount of catchy tunes or beautiful celebrities will be able to salvage, then that is exactly what you will get. So kudos to the Marry Me marketing team. They did not oversell it. They did not undersell it. They just sold it. Not many people bought it because it didn't do well. Mm -hmm. um, we saw this in an, an empty theater, and this was a few days after it had come out. But you know what? This movie is what it is. That's all there is to say about it. Mm. However, if you want to watch a surprisingly good new rom-com, check out I Want You Back, which is streaming on Prime Video. It stars Charlie Day from Always Sunny and Jenny Slate, who's best known as John Ralphio's sister Don't in Parks and Rec. Don't be suspicious. That's right. I thought it was kind of an odd pairing at first, but they are so great together. They both play people who were recently broken up with. The two of them meet one day. They make this plan to help each other get back with their exes. Mm -hmm. You can imagine where things go from there, but mm -hmm. it's the best kind of romantic comedy because even though you generally know where it's going, the journey to get there is so charming and funny and sweet that it still really works. And there's not a lot of rom-coms that make me laugh consistently throughout, but this one really did. Mm -hmm. I feel like this genre has become so saturated with not great movies. And that's mostly because of Netflix pumping out a new Kissing Booth Ugh. movie every four months. You so, love those movies. <laughs> I like to all the boys. Okay, I apologize. I get why a movie like I Want You Back can get kind of lost in the shuffle or be written off as another bad streaming movie. But it is not at all. It's really good. It's on Prime Video called I Want You Back. Give it a watch. Okay. okay. Kind of a dual NIMBY there. I like that transition. Man. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try to do the same thing with with a couple of mine over here. You think I'll, do you think mine will be as smooth? Absolutely not. 
Nathan, I'm a big fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I don't know if you've ever watched that show. There you show. go, Charlie Day. Yeah, Charlie Day. Big fan. Nice transition. Didn't even think about it. My God. I'm really on my, on my A game today. Uh, huge fan of the series since it started. I used to watch it on FX on Thursday nights. And recently they've started doing a rewatch podcast as every show people, yeah. like every group of people on a show do nowadays. And I was like, that's, I can't do a show rewatch podcast. Like, I just feel like it's a waste of time. Uh, and I was like, I'll give this one shot. So I watched the first episode of the series, turned down the podcast afterwards, and just had such a good time listening to these <laughs> three guys, the showrunners, kind of talk through, you know, how you know how they didn't even have an office. They didn't know what to ask for. They didn't have any idea what they were doing when the show started, how they kept losing sponsors because, like, stuff, <laughs> the topics they cover are, like, terrible. Yeah. Uh, I think, like, the first two are about abortion and terrorism or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um but the podcast is great just to hear these people talk uh, about the show. If you love the show, you love the characters. They're almost the same in real life, but it's just a real treat. And I've been listening. I think I'm all caught up. They do a video podcast now, too, so it's kind of fun to watch. But they keep saying Philly, obviously, because the show's called It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. They shoot in Philly. Mm-hmm. And I found myself hankering for a Philly cheesesteak one day. I thought, man, I haven't had that in a long time. Why do I want one of those? And then I realized I've been listening to them say Philly, Philly, Philly all over again. So I ordered a Jersey Mike's Chipotle cheesesteak, which is a cheesesteak, but it's got some Chipotle aioli on there. Uh, And man, I took one bite of it and it was so damn good and instantly gave me the worst heartburn and indigestion of my life. (laughs) Didn't even get the bite all the way down before I just felt absolutely terrible. Uh, But I would highly recommend both things still. The Always Sunny podcast is great and Jersey Mike's Chipotle cheesesteak can do no wrong other than to your internal organs. Anyone who listens to this show knows that the king of this podcast is Arby's. Mm -hmm. But if there's anyone coming for that crown, I think it's Shake Shack. Between the black truffle burger, the Korean chicken, all the different shakes we've tried, they're becoming one of my favorite spots. Mm -hmm. So I was very excited to try their new buffalo chicken sandwich. A crispy, hand-breaded chicken breast covered in buffalo sauce, topped with ranch, pickles, and lettuce. Mm -hmm. Keeping it simple. So simple that I didn't think we'd do it for a main review because it seemed like an easy slam dunk of a sandwich wouldn't spur that much conversation. But I really did not like it. Wow. And the reason why I didn't like it is that the buffalo sauce, essentially, I don't know if this is a a consistency issue or maybe there's some sort of chemical reaction happening with the spices, but the breading on the chicken completely separated from the meat. So as I'm munching down and drops of that buffalo sauce are falling on my plate, Big chunks of breading are sliding out, too. Mm. You've seen me eat a lot of messy sandwiches. Yeah. I keep things pretty locked down. Ah! I keep I keep a grip near the bottom. You know, I don't put it down once I pick it back Neither up. Do I. Yeah. But this buffalo chicken sandwich was absolutely out of control. I finished eating what was mostly a grilled chicken sandwich, mm-hmm. and I'm left with this pile of sauce and breading. And, you know, I, I might have gotten out a fork and mm. gobbled up the mess. But the thing is, the sauce isn't anything special. So mm. I just threw away my scraps. Wow. Shake Shack, I think, needs to take this back to the lab. I don't know how this got through the QA process. They usually know exactly what they're doing, but frankly, they're slipping. Just like how that breading slipped off my sandwich, Shake Shack has slipped down on my list of fast food joints after this. So Arby's, you remain the uncontested champion, and I am so sorry I even remotely questioned that. You know, I'm going to have to try it now because I almost feel like you just, that can't be the standard experience. It can't be. And I wonder if it is, is it too much sauce? Is there something, was there something wrong? I, I agree. Is it a recipe thing that particular night? But yeah. it looked and seemed like what it was intended to be. It just as I ate it, <sighs> lost it completely. Interesting. Interesting. 
I'm uh, I'm intrigued. I'm sad. I'm sad because it's only been going up in terms of its stocks. Shake Shack for me. <sighs> Let down. I almost yeah. We were there. We were right by there today, and I looked and I thought I need to try that sandwich. And I guess I still need to try that sandwich, but now I, my hopes are dashed. Nathan, I watched the entire first season of the show Murderville on Netflix. Mm. Have you watched this? This is the Will Arnett one? This is the Will Arnett improv show. I have not yet checked it out. Will Arnett plays a detective uh, who's trying to solve a murder in each episode. And he brings in a celebrity guest star. Um, The first episode is with Conan Mm -hmm. O'Brien. There's an excellent one with Kumail Nanjiani. uh, And uh, I think my favorite is the Marshawn Lynch episode. It is Emmy worthy. Um, But he brings in these guest stars and they have no context, no script, nothing. They walk into a room and they are in the middle of like a murder and have to help Will Arnett's ridiculous detective character solve this. <laughs> this show is, I know you're a huge fan of improv. If you like improv or comedy at all, this show is so good. You can see the characters trying to make each other break. Oftentimes they do in the Camille episode, especially Will Arnett breaks character like four times. Uh, and Marshawn Lynch is an absolute just national treasure. I want nothing but the best for that man. Uh, it is so much fun. It's short. And they're quick episodes. I think there's only like six or seven of them. Murderville on Netflix. I can't recommend it enough. I'm probably going to have to rewatch it here soon, along with Middle Ditch and Schwartz, my all-time improv favorite. But uh, Murderville is just fantastic. If you like Conan, if you like Will Arnett, if you like anybody who's in comedy, give it a watch. It is on my list. Kevin, I saw Scream, which is the fifth installment in the Scream franchise. It's not called Scream 5. I was kind of hoping they'd stylize the S so it was like 5 cream. Yeah. But uh, it's just called Scream. Okay. Because this movie isn't any old sequel. It's a requel or, or a legacy sequel, some would call it. What? <laughs> up until up until like five or six years ago, generally, if a studio wanted to make a new installment of a popular franchise, they would either make a sequel and mm-hmm. build off of familiar characters or storylines or... They do a reboot. They try to reinvent or expand the series with new characters and new ideas. Yeah. But then someone in Hollywood realized we can do both in one movie because sequels don't always work. Reboots don't always work. But requels are almost always a big hit. You could take a piece of beloved IP. You introduce a young new core cast. But you bring back the old actors that everyone loves mm. as side characters. And you treat them with reverence. And then you use them to pass the torch to the newbies. Movies like The Force Awakens, Creed, Ghostbusters Afterlife, the new Halloween trilogy, Jackass Forever, Spider-Man No Way Home, mm-hmm. there's a new Cobra Kai show. This formula works like 95% of the time. The other 5% is The Matrix 4. Oh, God. Um, this new Scream not only is a requel, but in true Scream fashion, it's also a satire of a requel. It's commenting on the trend as a whole, yeah. much like how the original Scream commented on slasher movies while also being an effective slasher movie. Now, I did not grow up with the Scream films. I actually had not seen the first one until a few years ago. Wow. I hadn't seen any of the sequels until a couple months ago when I decided to watch all of them leading up to the new one. You have so many better things on your <laughs> list to watch. I just, all right, fine. I, I basically lived 25 years with these characters in about two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, the first Scream, absolute classic. Yeah. The second one's pretty good. The third one, I've pretty much completely forgotten about already. Is that with Dewey? Dewey's in every single Scream film. Is he really? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I, we don't need to go into which one's which because if, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the fourth one came out in 2011, which was like 15, maybe 10, I don't know, yeah. years after the third one. Um, it's it's not very well liked generally. I had a lot of fun with it, though. Mm-hmm. This new Scream 
is really good. Wow. And you absolutely do not need to have seen two through four <laughs> to enjoy it. Uh, it does reward you here and there if you're a longtime fan or an insane person like me who watched the entire series back to back. But as long as you've seen the original, you are good. I thought the new actors did great. I thought that the meta awareness of it all was actually really interesting. The kills are more grisly than ever. I was genuinely surprised by a few of them, which is saying something since I had just watched the previous four back to back. They just, they kept it fresh. Mm-hmm. And I gotta say, I even got choked up a couple times. And it's not like I have years of nostalgia built up with these characters, but apparently at some point in those two weeks, I became emotionally attached to them. Wow. And the way that they use the original characters in this movie was really effective. It was just an all around enjoyable, well-made requel. And much like the recent Halloween movies, I look forward to the Scream franchise throwing away all of that goodwill they've earned with a shitty follow-up in about two years. I think you just had Stockholm Syndrome because you were just stuck with these people for so many weeks and you became attached. Uh, I'm not going to watch that movie, probably, uh, unless you make me at some point. Uh, But I'm glad to hear that it wasn't absolute trash. I've got one more, Nathan. Let's hear it. It's one that's hard for me to, to do because I wanted it to be bad. And it's not as bad as I wanted it to be. And I, it's, you and I saw the Suicide Squad. We did a whole episode on it. Yeah. Uh, One of my least favorite characters from that movie was Peacemaker, Mm -hmm. John Cena's character. (laughs) Um, Which, of course, they decided to do a spinoff series of his character uh, on HBO. And I, you know, I thought, I hate the character. Show can't be good. And I don't know why I felt the need to still watch it. Cause I think just to get like justification that I'm right. And he sucks. Uh, and I watched the show and the first episode was okay. And I thought, oh, yeah, you know, they're kind of like, they're making fun of him as well. So I can kind of laugh at the show and at him. Uh, and then it just got better somehow. And it was not at all what I expected. I think it was way more self-aware than I ever would have expected it to be. And it was, it's just a pretty good first season overall. I know you probably haven't had time to watch it, but I know you were a big fan of Peacemaker uh, and we're really excited for it. And I, um, yeah, I watched the whole season in just a few days, um, which is not at all what I ever would have guessed. So I humbly apologize to John Cena and Peacemaker and James Gunn. It's a, it's a good show. It's a good show. I was wrong. I think that's the first time I've ever said this on this podcast. I was wrong. I think so. Or episode 63. I got a hot flash and I started sweating right when I said that. That's how unnatural that is for me. Yeah, I uh, I enjoyed Peacemaker's character in the Suicide Squad yeah. way more than you did. And we actually talked about how I was looking forward to the show yeah. and you weren't. Correct. And uh, I have not yet watched this. Yeah. And it starts, I mean, it starts literally right where Suicide Squad leaves. Like mm. it, it does not skip a beat. Uh, which I actually liked. I think that's what kind of got me to stick with the first episode. Um, and yeah, it's just good. It's just good. Well, that's all the time we have for Nimble News. Now let's dig into those Wendy's Hot Honey Chicken Sandwiches. All right, so just a reminder. These Hot Honey Chicken Sandwiches feature a crispy chicken breast, melted pepper jack cheese, three strips of applewood smoked bacon, crispy pickle chips, and hot honey on a toasted premium bun. Um... So we, we cut these, the spicy and the non-spicy ones, in half. Yeah. Um, they look virtually identical. I actually cannot tell from looking at them. No which idea. Which. There does, I, I can see, like, beneath the breast, soaking into that bun, I do see, I can tell there was honey there. Yeah. Um, it has fully soaked it. Yeah. It's, it's not at all dripping off of the sandwich or anything no. like that. No. But uh, I hope that that will be a nice moistness. Uh, <laughs> 
You're not going to get that drip that you were hoping for. No. You want to go ahead and, uh, and put these in our stomachs? Let's do it. Which one are you going for there? We're going for these. Um, the one that I, we don't know. Yeah, I really don't know which one's which. Let's I think just, this let's is going to be spicy. I can't tell. I want to say this. Yeah, I'm getting some spice. But that could be the spicy pickle chips. That's the hot honey. I have real doubts that like the one pickle chip I ate is going to be that spicy. Mm. So, yeah, spice level is decent. I think the bacon and the pickle chip with that. So, like, the chicken breast and the bun are softened by the honey, as I expected. Yep. And that with the crispy pickle chip and bacon is a nice mix of textures. Really works. Yeah, really works. The pickle chips, especially... Uh, the honey flavor that comes through, you get that spice kind of initially, then the honey comes through, and then that spice kind of kicks back in. Uh, it's a it's a nice flavor, nice texture, nice flavor. Premium bun. Um, what do you think of this honey flavor? I like it, Nathan. I'm a big fan of this honey flavor. Actually, I think uh, you know whenever whenever you get that spiciness, like this is almost peppery almost too peppery like i feel like it lingers on your tongue and it's almost hurts a little bit not like super hot or anything but just kind of annoying that that is the one thing like that seems to be slightly different about the breading is that you can see one of those pepper flakes yeah. and so i think it is just that's essentially how they spicy how they make their spicy yeah. chicken how they spicy how they it's how they spicy yeah now they're pickle chips these look like just small potato chips mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but green yeah green um, around the outside i'm actually a little surprised by how much pickle flavor they add i thought maybe they would maybe frying them would just kind of take away any yeah. of that but i am getting some pickle flavor you know i absolutely am it's coming through very nicely and these pickle chips have been a part of my diet regularly recently because i eat um target future sponsor opportunity target if you're listening um has a nashville nashville hot like salad kit bagged salad kit Oh. And it comes with pickle chips and onion strings, spicy with like a hot dressing. And it's so fucking good, Nathan. Mm-hmm. I can't even tell you. I've never had a pickle chip before, but I like this. Yeah. Welcome to the good life. Now, see, I'm getting some spots that are almost too much honey. Almost too much sweet. Almost tastes like jelly. It kind of looks like it in spots. It looks more like a like a butter, mm-hmm. kind of. Mm-hmm. Like a thick butter that you would put on a yeah. piece of toast or Biscuit. something. Yeah. Which they actually, they do have a hot honey chicken biscuit. Mm. And that is what I want to try next. I've had it. And it is the messiest thing you've ever eaten. That <laughs> one is dripping truly with honey. Is it? And it is so fucking good, Nathan. I think I recapped it when I first tried Wendy's breakfast. Because uh, they have a breakfast chicken biscuit, too. And oh my god. Soaked in honey. So that is what, because this sandwich is definitely like a new limited time item. So yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that's... Sounds like the the biscuit's been there a while, and yeah. this is them branching out and making it a, yeah. a, a lunch and dinner option. Yeah. I think this type of bun, this is like a brioche-type bun, you know, also yeah. just soaks it in too quickly, you know? For the listeners to kind of visualize, a brioche bun, like, there's almost like this outer casing on yeah. a brioche bun that really keeps everything in there. Skin-on bun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so the inside is soft and absorbent, but the outside, you're not getting any trace Mm-mm. of that honey. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's that's what you want. You know, this is good. I don't know. That honey chicken biscuit that they have there, it's just, you know, that biscuit's hard on the outside. The honey's not getting in there, so it just kind of finds all the crevices and canyons and leaks everywhere. And then when you take one bite, everything just kind of crumbles into a part, which sounds like a bad thing. And especially when you're driving, which I was when I <laughs> right. was eating it. Um, but the, just the flavors are so goddamn good. So they have skin-off biscuits. They do have skin-off biscuits, okay. yeah. I think... I think the pepper on this chicken 
it's distracting me from how good this sandwich should be because uh, I just my mouth kind of just burns, and I think I'm gonna like the classic a lot more. Let's go for it. I'd want to let the listeners know that earlier he said he doesn't put the sandwich down till he's done, and he put the spicy one down just now. Had you not just said "hurry the fuck up" so we can eat this, I would have finished this. I don't think those were my words. But I'm a man. I'm a man that um, accommodates, you know, his <laughs> colleagues. Yeah. And you have made it very clear you're ready to move on. I am ready to move on. You take bigger bites than I do. You always yeah, beat me. I know. But uh, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna circle back to the spicy one after this. All right. I just wanted the listeners to know that you know, spouting lies. I mean, it's less spicy, so it's that's that, I guess. But wow, I'm actually not sure if I prefer this. Mine's still kind of spicy. Is it? Maybe that's lingering spice. I just got a big pickle chip bite. Let me try a non. I think the pickle chips are pretty spicy. So, well, I just want to say it's called a hot honey chicken sandwich. Yeah. Whether or not it's spicy, so yeah. like, if if the patty isn't spicy, it doesn't have some pepper flakes or whatever in there. What? Why is it hot honey? I don't know. I, I think feel like, the, I feel I like think there the, has to be heat. The way. honey sauce is a hot honey sauce. That's why. What does that even mean? So it's like spicy honey. I don't fucking know. I'm not in the kitchens there making the hot honey sauce. Uh, no, I think I think it's a sauce that's like that's kind of the new bit here is, you know, they can do spicy honey, which seems like an oxymoron. But I don't know. This seems I like the spicy one better. This is somehow worse, but it's still got that peppery heat that I'm feeling. I don't know what to do about this. This burger's really tripping me up. I don't know. You're eating a burger? <laughs> this chicken sandwich is really tripping me up. I just don't... I can't tell if I like it or not. Like, it's it, it's ever-shifting in my mouth in terms of how it tastes. Here's what I think. I think that if you just replace this patty with a, a good spicy chicken patty... Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure where from, but, like, everything else about this, I think, is really working. Yeah. But it's just that that... That spice isn't like we many times litigated the difference of like spice and heat and like yeah. what is it that makes a good flavorful spicy thing. This doesn't have the flavor that no. I want. It's got the burn. It's got like the the. It's the, got the burn. It's got yeah. the burn, but not a flavor to it. You know, it just kind of makes your mouth tingle. Yeah, I, you slap a Popeye's chicken breast on this. Oof. Nathan has re-picked up his initial sandwich. I mean, I'm tearing through it, so, like, I don't dislike it at all. But, um, <laughs> I am going to try the biscuit sometime. Yeah. Not know. while I drive. Have you not had their breakfast at all yet? I think I've had something of theirs in their breakfast menu, but um, I'm definitely going to try the hot honey chicken biscuit. Good. I'm going to go home, put tarps out. Yeah, truly. I had to buy a new car <laughs> after I hit that. I had to burn the other one down. No. Yeah, I don't think I'll get this chicken sandwich again. No, neither will I. I might ask for them to put pickle chips on everything else I get from Wendy's. And hot honey. Yeah. But you got to get there for breakfast because they have the best breakfast potatoes in the game. I'm telling you. Just, yeah. Now my mouth just kind of hurts. Like, I don't like it. I don't like that. It's that fake peppery, like, over. It's how I feel like Burger King makes their chicken spicy, too. It's just like, hit it with a shitload of pepper. Maybe some red pepper flakes or something. And it's like, you know, I need something more. I need a little more than that. Reminds me of the... Uh, spicy McChicken. Yes, well. yes. And that, I think, speaks to the quality of the chicken as well. It's one thing I love about the Popeye's chicken sandwich, man. You take a bite out of that, and it feels like, you know, you you killed a chicken in the backyard and, and made it yourself. Like I said at the top of the show, there's just so many chicken sandwiches out there. Mm-hmm. And we, in this, the past 10 minutes, we've brought up 
like four or five other restaurants. It's just, yes. it's inevitable. We're going to compare it to other chicken sandwiches. Mm-hmm. I think that directly comparing the Batman to past iterations of this character in this world might seem like the obvious place to start this conversation, mm-hmm. but I kind of think that would be boring and also a little unfair to be like, yeah. how does this measure up to the dark Knight, mm-hmm. One of the most universally loved movies of this century. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to challenge you mm-hmm. and myself <clears throat> For the rest of this episode, mm-hmm. not to talk in specifics about the Nolan movies yeah. or the Snyder movies or yeah. the Burton movies, but to frame this review around this new movie and judge it on its own merits. I 100% agree with that. And I didn't plan to draw back to any of those old Batman anyways. Uh, you know, I think I think that's it's just not the same. And, and even with, you know, when like the Dark Knight and Batman Begins and uh, the Dark Knight Rises were coming out, you know, it's 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 totally different than, you know, all those other Batman you can't you can't you can't compare it and that's what was I think so exciting about this one um, and why so many people are losing their minds is because you know we got a new Batman it's always exciting other than Ben Affleck uh, sorry <laughs> already broke the rule but I didn't see any of those movies so I don't know how he was um, but a new Batman's always exciting I think it gets people fired up draws them in chance to rebuild this character that we've seen completely and mm-hmm. um, how do you think they did in this one Nathan <laughs> I um this movie really commits to what it's going for, which is this dark, stylized, yeah. procedural mystery yeah. with with characters that I think it's it's fair to say that the characters in the Batman have no self-awareness. Mm. Like while watching the Batman, I was reminded a lot of Dune for a number of reasons. Uh-huh. And in our review of that movie, I talked about how almost all action blockbusters now are also comedies like Fast and Furious and Star Wars and Marvel movies, Mission Impossible. These franchises used to all be different in tone, but they've generally all adopted this Marvel model of peppering and constant quippy humor. Like there's a great example of this is um, the last Star Wars movie, Rise of Skywalker. There's this clip that is um, there's like stormtroopers uh, flying with jetpacks mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. someone sees them and goes, they fly now. And Oscar Isaac goes, they fly now. Yeah. And that's like the kind of line that's only there for you, the audience member. And like the character is aware of all of this, you know, in in a very ungrounded way, but in a way that's entertaining. Mm -hmm. Um, No one in the Batman is self-aware. Not to say that the writer or the director aren't self-aware, but the characters are not Mm -hmm. self-aware. Like Catwoman is drinking milk. Penguin is waddling. Batman is saying just the corniest sad teenager lines i've ever heard he's got the hair to match too to us these things are funny but they're not jokes like they're they're played with seriousness so you you could take this exact same footage same dialogue and everything and just re-edit it with comedic timing and it would be a parody sketch of itself 100 if if someone told me that they did not like this movie because it was too much to take seriously like the sad music, the riddles, the Italian accents. I think that that's a totally fair response. I can't believe that a movie this big committed this hard to being somber and shadowy and yep. just a, a total murder mystery mm-hmm. on paper. That doesn't sound like a lot of people's thing, mm-hmm. but it is so completely my thing. And I think <laughs> that this movie is a truly outstanding piece of filmmaking. Wow. Like I... Cannot believe how much I love this movie. Oh, my God. Really, Nathan? Yes. Wow. <laughs> wow. I get, you know, you just laid out a lot of very good reasons. And I think 
you know, <laughs> I want to I want to say off the top, like I liked this movie. I liked this movie. OK, <laughs> this is a good movie. I liked it. And I want that to be the baseline of this conversation, because I'm going to say a lot of reasons why I didn't love it. And I want people to understand that I still liked it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and I think <laughs> I think part of it is I can't take a guy with that hair pouting around his mansion. You know, I just it's so hard for me to take this Batman seriously. And I think part of that is 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 the absurd hair. But other than that, like, I think uh, he's just him and uh, he's just so unnatural in this movie. Like, it's like he's never talked to other humans before. Yeah. It's like he's never interacted with people before, which might be the thing they're trying to convey. You know, he's been in his dungeon and bat cave, you know, for two years just fighting people. And he doesn't talk to people. So that's why he's awkward. But Batman in a room of like seasoned detectives just wandering around a man in a cape just wandering around your crime scene as like you're an NYPD or Gotham PD detective. <laughs> like I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me with this guy? This guy, the guy in the cape, is the one you want to bring on the crime scene. Like, it's just just because there's a letter to him, like, uh, there's just so many decisions in this movie where I'm like, that's not how normal, natural people think or well, respond to situations. Batman has always been, like, kind of an asshole yeah. in the way that he'll, like, just disappear from mid-conversation yeah. or not care what you think about what he does. Yep. It has seemed in past movies to be more of, like, he just doesn't give a fuck. And this one, it's like he's socially awkward and actually doesn't understand that yeah. he's annoying and weird. Yeah. yeah. And he just, I feel like every time someone asks him a question, it's like, I don't know. And then 10 minutes later, he's cracked like the whole case. Like it's, uh, I don't know that his, he felt really unnatural to me. And then I think the Riddler too, it was very hard for me to buy into his character. Um, I think like with the mask and everything, you know, he's scary, intimidating. But the second the mask comes off and he actually has to like have a conversation. It's very hard to just take him seriously and feel threatened by this this person. I totally agree with that. I think that he is the weakest link of this. Movie. Yes. And which which is astounding to me because I love Paul Dano. Dano? Dano? I'm not sure. Paul. I love Paul. And, you know, it looks in previews and things like that. You know, there's a lot of hype around him. It's the Riddler. It's exciting. But like. The riddles aren't that great. The mask is, you know, uh, I don't know. It just wasn't, it wasn't there for me. And I think maybe it's because, you know, most of this movie we see him through a phone or, you know, through a device. Yeah. There's, there's like a degree of separation for yeah. the most part. Yeah. yeah. And I, and then the one scene where he's, well, I don't want to get into spoilers yeah. or anything, but the one scene where we get a real interaction, it's like, again, just all these unnatural choices. I don't want to spoil anything, but I was like, why are you saying that like that if it's not this? Like, and that, I, and that the scene you're talking about, which again, we won't go into detail yet, but it, it is a key point in the movie where this, the story really needs this scene to be good. Like yeah. it's really like leaning on Paul Dano to carry this. Yeah. And I don't think he can really pull it off. No, I don't think he can at all. I will say Jeffrey Wright, um, who plays Gordon in this Colin Farrell and John Totoro, I think, I loved all three. Yes. Of them. Inspired casting. Oh my God. And Gordon MVP Absolutely. of this movie. He Absolutely. and Batman's rapport is like the beating heart of this movie. Yeah. Um, Jeffrey Wright between this and the French dispatch, mm -hmm. another movie where he is the absolute MVP. Yeah. Like he's the guy. Oh yeah. I want him in everything. You never watched Westworld. Did you? I did the first okay. season. I liked him in that, but yeah. I, I did not 
from Westworld, I did not get that this guy had these chops. Mm-hmm. Like he has got it. Oh, when, yeah. he, when he gets in Batman's face and oh, like, man. he's just the way he talks. I could just his listen voice. to words pour Fuck. out of his mouth. Yeah, his forever. voice is so good, and his cadence is so good. I think I think those three really did it for me. I think um, uh, Zoe I liked too as as Catwoman, mm-hmm. Selena Kyle. Um, I just don't know about the like the two most important people. I'm just like I couldn't, I just couldn't get there. And I think it's it's a lot of the choices they make. I think the performances are fine. I think the Riddler and Batman were just underwritten in these movies. Like they didn't have much to have much to say, I think. And and I don't know. I like, and I love the thing that I love about Batman being like dark and, you know, pouty and things like that is, is that, you know, you get kind of the, the contrast of him not being that most of the time, you know, you get the Bruce Wayne side of things too. And I'm not going to just mention specifics or anything like that, but like, I missed that. We only get, Brooding, you're, sad Batman. You're saying you miss the Bruce charisma, yeah. Basically, I well, yeah. I miss just because we do get a lot of Bruce, but when he's when he's Bruce or whatever, yeah. when he's not Batman, yeah, he is. He's just a quiet dude. Yeah, like he's. I think that as Batman, he's like, I think he's pretty effective. Like his voice, it was gravelly, but it wasn't over the top. Like I yeah. was worried that Robert Pattinson, an actor who we both love, yeah, I was worried he might totally not be the right fit. And I think I, that, I think he's pretty good as Batman. Yeah. But yeah, as Bruce, he is what's interesting is this take on Bruce Wayne, he is not a playboy no. at all. No. He's this like sad boy sweetheart. And he sad boy like, sweetheart. Okay. So Taylor and I, mm-hmm. we, we were talking about this. We we both grew up um we were basically scene kids yeah. in that we wore tight, dark clothes. We had swoopy hair. We listened to loud music. Yeah. And that style, that like early 2000s, whatever that era, like mm-hmm. emo, punk, all that. Yeah. It's a very gender fluid style. It mm-hmm. defies a lot of stereotypically masculine or feminine characteristics. Like it's when I when I picture like a scene kid, it's like trying to be intimidating, but without being macho and yeah. also like cute without being girly Mm -hmm. and i feel like batman and catwoman both in this movie yeah exhibit that kind of fluidity like Mm -hmm. they're both imposing kind of intimidating but they're like graceful and sensitive like this is a very emotional movie catwoman is like she sort of fits because in a lot of ways this movie is yet another like detective noir oh absolutely like very and very sincere Mm -hmm. and Catwoman sort of fits like the femme fatale yeah. noir archetype. But at the same time, she's not relegated to being like a side character, like in service of Batman. No. She has her own journey and agency and motivations. I think she's got a really great physicality. Like she's yeah. very acrobatic when she fights and she's like very like, tiptoey, which I which is fun. Yeah. Um I think Zoe Kravitz is good. I, I agree that like there is there's there's not a lot in those main characters to wow you, mm-hmm. but when you throw in Penguin, yeah. Who, I mean, we have to talk about, if we didn't know that Colin Farrell was in this movie, you could never in a million years guess that that was him. Uh, Unrecognizable. He's not just chewing on scenery. He's devouring scenery. Like, he is, you know he practiced his, like, De Niro impression in the mirror for months. Oh, yeah. And he's like, you don't speak Espanol? (laughs) Like, he is... He's a cartoon. Yeah. In a, in a way that the central characters are not. Like, yeah. I I think it's so, it's interesting how much they tried to pack into this movie. 
Oh my gosh. And, and like tonally, there's just yeah. so much there. I think that the big question for people who have not seen this is, is the runtime worth it? And I want to hear your thoughts on that. I think this movie could have been 20 to 30 minutes shorter easily. I think there are so many holds on a brooding Batman or on a, on a scene that really doesn't impact the plot or anything. Like they just hold for like 30 seconds too long and almost every shot or every scene. And it's like, we move it along. Like you, you've got like four villains in this one, five, maybe if you count an electrical wire. Uh, and it's like, you have so much to cover. There's so many characters. There's so much going on. And like the scenes are all good, but at the end it's like, do we need to, you know, see him just stand there for another 25 seconds? Like, do we have to do this? And I think it does add to the, that noir tone of, of, you know, dark and brooding and, you know, we're not in a rush. We have to take it and think and, and, you know, work out these clues and figure things out. But it's, it was, I mean, it's a long movie. It's a long movie (laughs) and it could have been shorter. Is it worth it? Maybe like this movie's gorgeous. There's some shots that are like really jaw dropping where it's like, yeah, you got to just, you look at it. And like, I think in my head at a a certain point in this movie, I was like, there's some things I don't like about this movie. And then these shots would come up and I'd be like, fuck, that's good. That's a really beautiful shot. And the way they play with lighting and shadows in this movie from the intro, I mean that intro with Batman kind of talking about shadows and and the symbol of, uh, or the bat signal is like, it just carries through and how they shoot the rest of the movie so much with dark mm-hmm. and light. And um, it's actually, so this is shot by Greg Frazier who also did Doom. Oh, and it's, he's becoming like my favorite director of photography. Like yeah. he, the way that he, especially in this movie is so comfortable with you, not fully seeing what's going on. Like yeah. there's so many shots where, Everything is out of focus. Can we talk about the focus? Can and we like, please talk and about like, the focus? In some shots, maybe one thing will come in focus, yes. but sometimes not. Sometimes you're just like a 10 second shot and everything is blurry. Yes. Or the lens is so dirty or yep. wet yep. that you can only see like one part of the frame. Yeah. And it's I think it's just fascinating that a movie of this size, mm-hmm. they let him do that yeah. shit. Like that is stuff that you see in very artsy very independent experimental mm-hmm. movies mm-hmm. this is a like a potentially billion dollar franchise movie and they're like if you want to just like pour syrup on the lens yeah. go for it well, or if you just want to like we want to watch this scene and we can't even tell what's happening hardly no. but we it's all about impressionism it's yeah. all about like there it's so much more of a feeling mm-hmm. than a movie which mm-hmm. sounds like a bullshit way of defending it but i think that stylistically like plot wise and character wise and all that like I, I hear the criticism and I, yeah. I felt some of that too, yeah. where I was like, there's points. Cause we're going to go into spoilers. We're going to go into many things where I'm like, do we need to do this? Yeah. But then like every 10, 20 minutes you see something and you're like, this is, and I say this kind of stuff a lot and I sound like a fucking nerd, but like this right here is why movies exist. Mm-hmm. Like it, it makes me feel alive <laughs> in a way that only the best art can. Yeah. And like, who cares about the other shit? When, like know, this, when this is like, I care, Nathan. I care about the other shit. Like, I mean, I care and I like talking about this, I, but also at the end of the day, yeah. I'm going to see this movie like three more times. I will go with you. I will go with you, Nathan. I, like I said, I liked it, but like those, do I need an art house Batman? Probably not. Like I'd much rather see these cool camera techniques in a different movie because when I'm watching a Batman movie, like that's just not what I'm really looking for. And like, 
there's one scene early on where there's a, essentially a weapon that's on the floor. And we saw this in IMAX. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, it's so out of focus. And you think like in every other movie that you've ever seen, when there's something out of focus in the foreground and somebody's walking towards it, like it's going to come into focus. And it's like closer, <laughs> you would right? think. You would think. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and then it just nothing comes into focus. And I was like, is this IMAX projector like fucking up? And it took me out of it so much. And you're right. It is great art. And it's an amazing idea to even shoot a scene like that. But did I like it? I don't know. Did it leave an impression on me? Yes. Uh, I just, they a lot of them bugged the hell out of me. I was like, God, if people are wearing glasses, they're going to lose their mind, I feel like. Um, I could be taking them off. Like, what is, do I need a new prescription? Uh, yeah. I mean, all there's so many shots that make up for these few things that I didn't like. I, I mean, we could, I'm sure they'll be all over Instagram and I'll be posting them to our stories nonstop. But, uh, yeah, I don't, the focus bugged me. It bugged me. It was not a pro for me. I get what you're saying and why you appreciate it. And I, I do appreciate that they got away with it, but I don't want them to get away with it again. <laughs> I would, I would take a plain standard focus, uh, methodology over, over this chaotic I don't know. Now I'm feeling like maybe I do like it. I don't know. Oftentimes, um, especially with bigger movies, producers will request the dailies, the, like the raw footage that the director and cinematographer are, are filming each day. They, they want to see without it being edited or anything done to it. Just what have you, what are you working with? Yeah. I can't imagine anyone looking at these dailies and being like, what the fuck is this movie going to be? Yeah. What are you, what are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. But they just, man, they trusted Matt Reeves, the director and Greg Frazier working the camera. Like, it seems like it, they had complete and utter free reign like to do does. anything they wanted. Which is just so rare. Like there's there are a couple of directors, like Nolan, maybe Tarantino, that's different kinds of movies, who like they just kind of get to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. But I mean Matt Reeves, you know, this is a guy who's the last thing he did was the Planet of the Apes trilogy, which yeah. is a well liked series of movies. They weren't huge successes financially or anything. No. I mean they're they have their fans, but like I think I feel like with this movie no matter what anyone thinks of it, he has now become one of those like top tier, like you got to see what he does. Yeah. Directors. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like we're getting more of these. I would imagine that and movies. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's doing okay. At the it's box doing office. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And it's a few years ago. I wouldn't have thought that something like this dark, both in tone and visually mm-hmm. would be the successful, but also Joker made like a billion dollars. Yeah. I, I get it. I yeah. mean, I think we're there as a culture. Mm hmm. I mentioned like the, the whole like scene kid, like emo aesthetic. That's like, it's back in a big way oh, yeah. in, in pop culture. Like I feel like this movie came at the exact right time when embracing sadness <laughs> is just a thing. Like even like five, 10 years ago, that wasn't the thing, but like 15, 20 years ago it was. And now you have young people mm-hmm. and also people in their thirties who are nostalgic for that. Everyone is listening to Olivia Rodrigo and Adele yeah. and Billie Eilish and like wallowing in sadness because yeah. we live in sad times. And like, sometimes it feels good to let it wash over you. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. I was sitting in the theater and I was reminded of the words of a film icon. Heartbreak feels good in a place. Like oh this. my fucking God, Nathan. No, don't quote Nicole Kidman from that terrible AMC nonsense. Uh, I literally had a full response to what you just said and that the rage that just came into my body made me forget everything I was going to say in response to what you just said but don't quote don't quote that Nathan what did you think of the combat the combat was great 
I mean, the combat was great. I will say, not a lot of gadgets or gear in this, as as opposed to you know, um, it's like they're holding back, like I, they're like yeah. they're going to show us movie by movie. He's got things on his arms where I'm like, those will come into play, and then they just don't. Um, I thought the combat was great. There's especially, I mean, there's the first scene kind of as he's entering a club, um, and that is a fantastic fight scene. There's a scene later on that's essentially lit only by gunfire. That and it is a truly one of the most astounding sequences I've ever seen. Yes. Honestly. I, I, my my jaw is open, and yeah. I'm just like, guys, yeah. this is the coolest shot yes. I've maybe ever watched. It was, like, that scene alone makes me want to go back and see it again. Because I was yeah. watching that just like, fuck, this is cool. And it reminded me of Dune, actually, in the scene with Jason Momoa, um, where he's yeah. kind of fighting in a, in a hallway yeah, like that. similar scene. Um, but that was just like, my jaw was on the floor for that one. So, <laughs> it ebbs and flows. You know, it gives and it takes away. I think it's... It's there's so many things I really love about this movie. And there's so many things where I was just like, this does not work for me at all. <laughs> and it's very hard for me to try to reconcile those things and, and come up with whether I like this or not. Um, I think I probably liked reminiscence better than this movie. We have to talk about this. I, I, because okay. I saw you tweeted about this and yes. I knew I was okay. sitting there in the theater, your seats down from me. And I'm like, we're thinking the exact same thing. I honestly this is, leaned forward to look at you at a certain point to see, like, if, because I was like, this is straight up reminiscence, like so, a prequel to reminiscence. For anyone who doesn't know what reminiscence is, because I'm sure this episode will get far times the number of listens as our reminiscence episode did. Yeah. This came out last fall. It's mm-hmm. a Hugh Jackman, again, a detective, a yeah. film noir movie that is dark in tone and yeah. visually. Yeah. Takes place it, in essentially Gotham City. <laughs> right. It takes place in a city that. Overrun it's, it, by it's, crime. Yeah, and it's like, but it's a dystopian. We want, and there's, I want to be careful because there's like things that are kind of spoilery in ways yeah. they connect, so we can wait on that. That's but fair. in a lot of ways, these movies are so similar, and yeah. it feels like the Batman could be a prequel to Reminiscence. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting there thinking, like, no one else saw that movie. <laughs> no, and like, and like, I don't think that Warner Brothers is concerned about people being like, why are these so similar? Because no, no one, one remembers it. But, but you me, and I remember. Yes. Like, and as, as this movie was unfolding and as like his kind of voiceover came in, I was like, this is like they are identical usages of things in both of these movies. And it's alarming to a point like that also <laughs> took me out of it. because I was like, they just copied reminiscence for like seven different parts. I couldn't believe it. You and I's verdict on that movie was that like, it's not great, but there's a lot of really interesting aspects of it. So I, I would say to anyone listening to this, mm-hmm. if you saw the Batman and you liked the vibe it was going for, check that out. Check oh, yeah. out Reminiscence. It's on HBO Max. Yep. It's a cool movie. Yeah. And I hear HBO is actually paying Hugh Jackman to go and visit each house that watches it because they really <laughs> need some boost on those numbers. Um, but no, if you like this movie and you're like, God, that gritty, you know, dark kind of feel to it. Yeah. That reminiscence. Like, that like sincere noir. Yes. You know? Not satirical, like a, a truly like go back to 1960s, like detective movies. Uh, who know? I think I hope they made detective movies in the 1960s. Not but, a single one, <laughs> but no, it's, it's so similar and so good. Um, again, not a perfect movie by any means, but like, yeah, if you like the vibe of this reminiscence is for you, if you like, Oh, I can't say that. There's a lot of things we can't say. Yet. Yeah. We'll mention it again. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I do want to call it one thing that an aspect of filmmaking that pretty much only gets called out when it's bad, but almost never when it's good. And that is that the sound mixing in mm. this movie, mm. I think, is fantastic. Oh, my God. There have been so many movies in the last few years 
there's like a phenomenon now. They're like huge movies have unintelligible dialogue. Sound you can feel. Yes. <laughs> Nolan is a big culprit with things like Interstellar. Tenet. Um, Dune had that problem at times as yeah. well. Like there's these loud movies that are meant to, you know, be seen in IMAX. And it's like the, you get the score and it's just all these fighting audio channels basically. Mm-hmm. And I did not feel at one point in the Batman that I couldn't tell what someone was saying yeah. or that I couldn't tell like where a sound was coming from. Like, mm-hmm. I think this was just a superb sound mix. This is a movie that you can watch at home without captions on, without adjusting the volume every 10 minutes. Like it is, it is a very well mixed. I a hundred percent agree because it didn't even pop into my head at all about, and that, that just speaks volume because normally I'm like, God, that's, I can't hear this or that's blurry, whatever it might be. And I had no issues with it. It is. Um, and this is a really dynamic movie too. I mean, you've got oh my God. voiceovers, you've got these fight scenes, you've got car chases, you've got a whole lot, a whole lot goes on in this movie and they're all, yeah, just really well balanced in terms of the audio and the, and the score, this Michael Giacchino score, which yeah. I really, really like it is at times it is blaring loud. Like it's like these horns, like yeah. the frequency of these instruments. It's just so loud mm-hmm. but it never fell out of balance and like again these movies that we've been mentioning like tenant or yeah. dune i i kind of feel like we're in this golden age of like heart pounding film scores yeah. like these scores that are just absolutely want to shake you they're just like so powerful yeah but yeah this one there's all these moments all these action sequences where there will be like a, a moment of anticipation yeah. like maybe I don't even want to say specifics, but like, you know, something is about to happen. Mm -hmm. Like someone's about to jump from somewhere. Like someone's about (laughs) to make an impact or whatever. And then when that thing happens, it crescendos and the music is just like tickling your brain because it's so, it's just roaring. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, this movie is kind of not an action movie. Like it's way more of a murder mystery. Mm -hmm. And yet the action is some of my favorite action I've seen in years. Yeah. There are some magnificent scenes. Really magnificent. Really magnificent. Breathtaking scenes. Yeah. It's good. I mean, it's good. It's good. I'm going to shit on it a lot in spoilers, but it's a good movie. It's a good movie. I like the movie. It's got some issues. It's got some issues. All right. We have a lot more to get through. Yeah. So let's uh, get into spoilers. But before that, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Fast Food Film Friends is brought to you by The Bat Pack. You need a backpack that on the outside appears to be a completely normal, standard-sized knapsack, but on the inside has enough room to fit a full bulletproof bodysuit, combat gear, and tech equipment? Then the backpack is for you. Does it make any sense? No! And it doesn't have to. Fit whatever you want inside and never worry about running out of space again. You could probably live in it if you want. Go to www.batpack.com and use code FFFF for 20% off. And we're back. It's time for our spoiler snack segment, the part of the show where we talk full spoilers and we eat a snack. And this week, Kevin, you're actually surprising me with a snack. I know. It's the first time I had to order. We were in a moment of panic because Impossible Nugs were out at KFC. I want to say this is the second time. The first time was a little while back and it was a huge disappointment. Oh. So uh, my yeah, hopes. What was it again? I kind of, I forget. All I remember mm. is just uh, hopes being dashed. Well, there's bacon this time, so it can't be that bad. In the spoiler snack? In the spoiler snack. Oh, and I know. I know. Open it up. I'm going to get it. Close those fucking eyes. All right, Nathan. Keep your eyes closed. Mm-hmm. Open your mouth. I'm just kidding. 
Uh, one of the first things I got that I wanted to try, keep your eyes closed, was Wendy's <laughs> Ghost Pepper Ranch Sauce. I couldn't remember if we had tried that before. This feels like a villain monologue with yeah. me closing my eyes. Um, uh, I don't think so. No. Okay. So we get to try that. And what we're going to be dipping into that Ghost Pepper Ranch are Wendy's Baconator Fries. Ooh. These are our natural cut skin on sea salted fries topped with warm, creamy cheese sauce, mm. shredded cheddar, and crispy applewood smoked bacon. The only fries worthy of the Baconator name. You can take a take a little peek here. Oof. <laughs> oh man. Um they don't look good. They look like subpar fries. Mm-hmm. Um doused yeah. in uh some soft bacon mm-hmm. and some I mean it is melted, you know, shredded cheese. Uh I'm mostly excited for this ghost pepper ranch sauce. Yeah. I will say Wendy's um, consistently has underperforming fries. I think the worst fries yeah. in the industry. Well, they actually. Oh, this is interesting. New fries. Yeah. They now have this whole new like guarantee mm-hmm. where their fries are crispy. Guess that does not apply when the fries are covered in cheese sauce. Yes. But um, I also I'm think hoping these are better than they would have been a year ago. Maybe. I also think they really stopped pushing that. Uh, guarantee pretty quick because I I got the new fries. They were still I didn't go back, but I'm sure people were going back in droves because they seemed the exact same to me. I mean, it sounds like if you've ever seen the episode of Nathan for you mm-hmm. where he uh, goes to a burger joint mm-hmm. and the guy says we have the best burger in L.A. And he's like, oh, really? And we're going to have a guarantee that if someone doesn't think it's the best burger in L.A., they get a hundred dollars. <laughs> and he goes on a radio show advertising. There's lines down the street. That's what I feel Wendy's got themselves into. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, yeah, free fries if you don't think they're crispy. Mm-hmm. And then people showed up in droves to say, these aren't crispy. Yep. And they said, fuck. Yeah. Because it was big. I mean, they were advertising billboards, TV spots. <sighs> Let's try. Let's see what we think. I'm going to get a little bacony, cheesy guy here. It's mush. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the fries, this is what I think about their new fries. It feels like there's something in there that should be holding it up, like should be making it crispier. It feels like there's something new in this that's not potato, and it's just not working. I want the listeners to know, the motion you just made implied that there's little men yeah. inside the fry, that's keeping a, every wall. Of the- Hands and legs spread wide, trying to hold all four up. And there's like an army of them in there, but they're all just moist and like turning into slush. Yeah. Because there is a chewier aspect to them. Yeah, these are these are floppy. Let's uh, dip some of these in this ghost pepper oh, ranch sauce. God, I can't even pick this up. Oh, my. Oh, daddy. Um. I like that ranch. Mm-hmm. Not at all spicy. Is it like tangy? Like, what do you what do you taste in there? It's like kind of like a tangy thousand island, like a or almost like I don't know if it reminds me of like a like a chipotle sauce. It's like like a Chipotle. I think it's like a little... Yeah, that's a new one. That's a good sauce, though. I want to try that on a burger. Spice kind of builds up a bit. What I feel is that when I put it on my tongue, Mm -hmm. the spot where I put it almost has a little tingle. It's a very strange sensation, Mm -hmm. but it's not like a spicy flavor. Yeah. It's weird, but it's not bad. It's the only thing making these fries edible, I will say. The bacon's not bad. Wendy's loves bacon. All right. For our spoiler talk for the Batman, you know, this is a long movie. Yeah. This is a plodding movie. Mm-hmm. And I I really want to keep on track 
with our all the things we want to touch on. So mm-hmm. I would like to read you the Wikipedia plot description, and we stop every couple sentences okay. to just kind of talk about wow. those parts of the movie. Okay, I'll allow it. Um, here we go. Okay. On Halloween, Gotham City Mayor Don Mitchell Jr. is murdered by a serial killer calling himself the Riddler. Mm-hmm. Billionaire Bruce Wayne, who has operated for two years as a vigilante Batman, investigates alongside the Gotham City Police Department. I mean, first off, this skips the entire intro and first fight scene, uh, which I really liked uh, both of those. Uh, this is your time to talk about I'm just reading the description. I'm telling you my description here. Uh, so Batman, I mean, does it start with his voiceover? Is that the first thing we see? I kind of forget, to be honest. Yeah, I do too. Um, I think it... No, we see the murder first. I don't remember, but one or the know. other. I one or the other. Erroneous on all counts. Erroneous. <laughs> Um, but the, the, you know, they're showing bad guys committing crimes all over Gotham, you know, this robbery, it's a Halloween, everyone's wearing masks. And then, uh, Batman kind of comes out. He's like, you know, that symbol is a symbol. Uh, I can't remember vigil, vigilante, no vengeance, whatever the hell he says, uh, crushing this so far, by the way. Okay. The murder does happen first because I think that the very beginning of the movie is looking through the scope Yeah, because I... You don't know where this is starting. I was like, is this young Bruce? Mm. Where, where is oh, this? Yeah. And then we find out, oh, we're skipping all backstory. Yeah. Which that's the point where I'm like, it's a three hour movie. Mm-hmm. And we're skipping the whole backstory of Batman. Yeah. We're in for a lot. Well, I th- yeah. And I, you know, I think you got to give it uh, at a certain point. You don't want to watch the kid's parents die again. You know? Exactly. But uh, we get to watch this kid's well, yeah, die. Yeah. Like it, 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 spread, spread the love around a bit. You mentioned earlier how like that the pacing. There's all these shots where like you're we're just fixed for ten twenty seconds on something that's not mm-hmm. no no dialogue no action just kind of like watching something happen. Yeah. Um. The the murder with like the shot that is burned in my mind is like the Riddler. Oh, they're taking the duct tape. Yeah. Right. There's like yeah. this. He's opening it wide. Like he's and, trying like, to hold up a fry from the inside. <laughs> <laughs> and we we watch this slow methodical murder. And I'm just settling in like, oh, this is going to be a slow movie. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to spend time watching every single thing happen. Yeah. Well, and then know, it made sense how it's a three-hour movie. <laughs> it does. And even for the first fight scene where, you know, he there's some people beating up a guy on the subway. You know, they see the, one of them sees a the bat signal and they're like, oh, you know, they think they hear something. And then he's just walking down the longest unlit, like, hallway ever towards these people. You hear his footsteps for like 20 seconds and then he comes out um and it is it's slow like there's a lot of those they make you wait for it um but i I, yeah i think we both like the pacing eventually i think the shot that sticks out to me from this murder is before we really understand what's happening and you know it's the mayor watching the news or whatever and then there's like a flash of lightning and the riddler's right behind him that got me going yeah give me some of that i liked that intro because it's it's like it's a kind of like a whodunit, but with that element of horror, yeah. similar to like Seven, mm-hmm. David Fincher type vibe, yeah. where it's like it kind of it rattles you trying yeah. to figure out this guy did psychologically. You, did you know that he based uh, Batman off of Kurt Cobain and the Zodiac Killer in this movie? Matt yeah. Reeves wanted no. that's the vibe he was going for. I speaking of Kurt Cobain, did not expect a Nirvana needle drop no. in this, and no. something in the way. Is like one of my favorite songs of all time. Great. And as soon as the chords came in, I was like, they're not about to play something in the way. Yeah. And then it's not just like you get a bit of it, you get the whole song mm-hmm. and then like half the song later, yeah. Also, like yeah. you really are just again, it's 
we're soaking in it. It's yeah. just kind of letting you settle in, like and just kind of just drink it all up, you know. <laughs> and they did that with a uh, with music throughout the movie too, because like Ave Maria, you yeah. know, like two different characters kind of singing or hum it, or it's on in the background at one point, and mm-hmm. then later on, you know, the Riddler is basically belting it out uh, at a certain point, but. Um, because I was like, oh, Ave, I think it, like the intro might even be too Ave I think Maria. The first scene, yeah. And then somebody else, and I was like, oh, they're bringing it back. Like it's pretty rare that they're reusing music like that, especially in, in the way that bit. you would expect, like a score to reuse a motif or mm-hmm. like a character theme. Mm-hmm. It brings those songs in, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Next sentence. We yeah. have a long way to go. Yeah. Uh, Lieutenant James Gordon discovers that the Riddler left a message for Batman, but Commissioner Pete Savage berates him for allowing a vigilante to enter the crime scene and forces Batman to leave. Mm-hmm. The Riddler kills Savage and leaves another message for Batman. I mean, I was Team Savage all the way here. Get Batman out of the fucking <laughs> crime scene. It makes no sense. I really liked Savage. He's like Diet Penguin. Yeah. Like he yeah. comes on and he's just he's coming out hot. Yep. And then that gets you ready for Penguin later, who oh my is God. scorching hot. Yeah. Oh God, he's so hot. Too hot for a little penguin. Uh, yeah, I don't have much else to say about that. How does, do we see Savage die? Um, he's the one that, or we kind of just see his body. I, I kind of forget because I'm thinking of the, it's the like neck this bomb too thing. long. <laughs> well, I think it's just that that character and that moment, like there's just less impact and it's, it's yeah. less the neck bomb yeah. later on. Coulson. I remember that vividly because it was terrifying and yep. much more drawn out. Yep. But yeah, the Savage is not so much. Um, one thing that, I spent way too much time thinking about during this movie is that every one of the Riddler's clues and he makes these greeting cards. Yeah. I'm like, this guy is an all-star graphic designer. Oh yeah. Like he is. Well, I was wondering, is he making the cards? Cause I was like, where is he finding these cards? I believe if I recall correctly, the first one, it's like a card that you could see being used yes. as a normal thing, mm-hmm. but then they become so strange. Yep. You're like, he's making them and they've got like embossing. They've got a really nice paper. And it I'm like, good. he's sitting there on Adobe Illustrator, yeah. really fine tuning these designs. Crushing it. And I respect him for that. Yeah. I mean, they look great. They look great. They look Hallmark quality. All right. Batman and Gordon discover that the Riddler left a thumb drive, wink, wink, in Mitchell's car containing images of Mitchell with a woman, Annika, at the Iceberg Lounge, a nightclub operated by mobster Carmen Falcone's Lieutenant Penguin. Mm, It's Lieutenant. I like that. Uh, The thumb drive bit uh, didn't work for me. Didn't work for me. Like, oh, you took a thumb, blah, 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 drive. Like the whole like, what does a liar do after he's dead? He lies still. And then it's like thumb and it's just the word drive and like you go down to his car. It's a stretch. It's a stretch to say the least. It's also it's a stretch that like only Batman could figure these things out. Like it's that's what I'm saying. Like, like, why, he like lies what, still. Like Come why on. does some of them it's like how could anyone get this? But others it's like why can only he get this? Really bad detectives <laughs> it seems like uh, in Gotham PD for the most part. Because yeah Batman's 10 steps ahead of everyone. But he never like communicates till he's like we gotta go to the garage. Like it's. So he says, he says, I don't know 50 times in this movie. <laughs> like if people ask him, what could that mean? I don't know. I mean, he's not a kid genius. Come on. <sighs> if only he was, if only he was a lot of this movie takes place in this nightclub. It reminded me a lot of in the dark night. There's a nightclub scene. It's like oh, yeah. 30 seconds long, but you see Batman throwing guys over the railing. Mm-hmm. He's coming from Maroney. Yep. Who <laughs> Maroney is a guy that his name is plastered all over this movie. Yeah. But he's not in this movie. Mm-mm. He is the Batman's Bronco Henry. 
Wow. Like he is constantly being referenced, Mm kind of idolized. Mm -hmm. He's like a legend more than a person. But there's no one plays Maroney. I don't think we ever even see a photo of him, do we? No. Not on this one. He's just an idea. And you know why? (laughs) It's because Maroney in The Dark Knight, Eric Roberts, they can't recast him. No. How could you? He's the best in the business. He is prodigious in in his work. Um, When John Turturro came into the movie, I had no idea he was in this. I had no idea. And I was so fucking pumped. I was like, wow, excellent cast. Great move. Was his performance perfect? No, but I just, I got so excited. I love that man so much. He's a great slime ball. You know, you, you love to hate him. You do. You do. I also love to love him in a lot of movies, but you do like to hate him. Um, that club too, the iceberg lounge, like a, what a name for penguins, like hang up, but B this, <laughs> the set design there. I fucking love. Yeah. Like and, the, and the lighting. Of oh my lighting. God. Yeah. The penguins little kind of nest that he's got inside, <laughs> you know, and then like the club behind the club for all the really rich, um, criminals, like what a, just a super cool concept. And, uh, I, I also love the twin bouncers who just had yes. the worst run of luck <laughs> in this movie. Uh, absolutely loved them. I thought that was a really good kind of running gag throughout. Batman questions the penguin who pleads ignorance, but notices that Selena Kyle, Annika's roommate and girlfriend works there as a waitress. After Annika disappears, Batman sends Selena back to the iceberg lounge to search for answers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is where, um, you know, we see these contact lens, live feed cameras, this felt like a very video gamey mission. Yeah. It's a way of introducing a lot of exposition and mm-hmm. characters, the way it identifies people on screen. Mm-hmm. And like you have Batman's voiceover mm-hmm. giving her context. Mm-hmm. You have her saying things out loud that she's interpreting. You listen to other people have their conversations, all these mob guys. Yeah. They're just dumping information on you. And I I didn't feel confused. No. Like I feel like it no. works. It does. It does. I fucking hate the term dropheads. Um, I think that's the Again, cheesiest, dumbest thing in the world. Isn't that so similar to reminiscence? Yes, yes. So similar. That's what I'm saying. It's it, The similarities are astounding. <laughs> like, Matt Reeves knew nobody saw reminiscence and just stole a whole lot of stuff from reminiscence. I don't think he made this movie in the last five months, uh, but it is surprisingly coincidental. Um, just the drops and, like, drop heads and shit. Like, just fucking do normal drugs. We don't need right. a scary new... It doesn't... You don't, We don't even find out, like, what it does. Because everyone's, like, there's a guy in the club who's having a totally normal conversation on drops, and there's, like... People who like tweaking tweaking, and it's like, what are these drops doing? Like, oh, he's wasted. And it's like, he seems a little buzzed, but like, I wouldn't, I don't know. know. It's one element of this movie that, so Matt Reeves was like very particular. This would be a PG 13 movie. You know, he he didn't want it to be an R rated movie. So I think that things like that, like if they, if people are just like doing crack or doing Coke, I feel like that would be pushing it it towards an R rating. That makes sense. And so it's kind of, it's more just vague and just kind of like, is it, acid yeah maybe Who like knows? it's just kind of yeah vague yeah i just don't like it like drop it like i could give me an hour i'll think of a better name than drop heads granted i've had almost a week since we've seen this movie and i still haven't but like dro- drop heads Ugh. this chunk of the movie where like batman is basically following selena I feel like this is the one part that has some hard to believe moments like when he's tailing her yeah and he's like 10 feet behind her and I i'm know. like Mm, yeah i feel like batman would be like 50 feet behind her yeah, at least at least uh and he that's his whole, the one thing i just hate too is like he's driving the same motorcycle around as bruce wayne and as batman <laughs> interchangeably I mean, and i'm like it's nothing's not a special you know i know but motorcycle he's, and i guess he's got a helmet on when he's bruce wayne but like 
Oh, that's that's the same motorcycle that Batman's been on for the last two fucking years. You think somebody would catch that at a certain point? I don't know. That took me out of it a bit. But yeah, he is way too close. Selena Kyle also, when she like goes on this mission to go in like the club below the club, mm-hmm. and like she encounters Penguin, her boss, and she doesn't work in this downstairs club. So like I was expecting him to acknowledge that or yeah. give her a look or say something. There's these little things where I'm like is this how this would go? Yeah. I don't quite feel like it, but we, we just kind of keep moving. Like it just kind of blows past those yeah. little things. And I think penguin, if he's ever around, you know, Falcone kind of defaults to letting him, you know, do the yelling or the, the talking or decision-making, you know, but a lot of questions around a lot of, a lot of things here. Bruce Alina, Batman discovers that Savage was on Falcone's payroll as his district attorney, Gil Colson. Selena shuts off communication when Batman presses her about her relationship with she Falcon. She did not like that. She did not like that. She got very angry. I mean, this is where it becomes just a straight up mob movie. Yeah. You know, like I did not see that coming, but it expands in a way that, again, in the moment when I saw this, I was like, this is why it's a three hour movie. Yeah. Because we're going to be rooting out corruption. Yep. You know, digging in. I think um, Coulson, who is a, a drophead. One of my favorite parts, I guess this is the next sentence, um, but when the Riddler abducts him, like how he's taken out his headrest in his car so that when you look at his car, it looks like it's just a headrest, but it's actually the Riddler's head, you know? Yeah. Uh, I just really liked that. I was like, what a fun bit. Because, you know, if I, you know, if you're going to be a serial killer, you might, you might as well be good at it. And I was like, that's just genius. And, you know, you think uh, Catwoman kind of sees him in there, like she kind of looks over there and there's a moment where it's like, I think she knows what's about to happen to this guy, but she kind of doesn't give a shit. It's very tense. Like it from there, I'll just I'll keep reading. The Riddler abducts Colson, straps a timed collar bomb to his neck, and sends him to interrupt Mitchell's funeral. Mm-hmm. When Batman arrives, the Riddler calls him via Colson's phone and threatens to detonate the bomb if Colson cannot answer three riddles. Batman helps Colson answer the first two, but Colson refuses to answer the third. The name of the informant who gave the GCPD information that led to a historic drug bust, ending mobster Sal Maroney's operation, and then Colson dies. I think uh, this was one of my favorite scenes. Oh, yes. Um, so tense. So tense. Batman, hey, Batman pulls up in a fucking sweet car. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my God, give me that car. And, you know, the interaction when he kind of he runs into Falcone and that kind of conversation is like, I loved every second of that. I loved them kind of talking, you know, him kind of explaining, like, don't you think that meant something that your dad helped me, you know, back in the day? Dropping little hints here and there. Mm-hmm. Um Absolutely love that. And then, you know, just kind of the the chaos that comes so shortly after they get there. I just fucking love it when that car comes barreling through. I was like, ooh, who's going to be in there? You never know. Well, and it it gets you on edge with how, like, the crowd, you don't know what's happening, but people are being rattled. And then I feel like from the car to the way that the riddle plays out with his head actually exploding, like, it really reinforces what's at stake and ratchets up. The mystery, because you're thinking like a guy chose to get his head blown off rather than tell whatever secrets lie ahead. Yeah. Let's go. Which is crazy. I, I, I'm i in this. Which is crazy. Um, Yeah. And that's I think it's yeah, it sets the stage for just how big of a person this is going to be who is the rat. But oh, man. Yeah. Very fun scene. The riddles were fun. Again, mm-hmm. Batman, the only one who can solve pretty basic mm-hmm. riddles. But I guess it'd be tough when you have a bomb strapped around your neck to focus on riddles. There's this. This kind of heartfelt through line in the movie of Bruce really identifying with the son of oh, the yeah. mayor. Yeah. And in this scene in particular, like he gives that look to the kid right before mm-hmm. everything goes south. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like 
those moments were really they they help paint a picture yeah. of Bruce as like a very sympathetic, very emotional guy. You know, he's oh yeah. he's this thing that happened in the, in the beginning of the movie. Like, there's so many more things happening, but he's often like fixated and reminded of like Vengeance oh shit yeah kid. like I was like that when I was a kid. I think he could have stared at the kid for seven seconds less, probably. <laughs> Pretty intense eye contact for a man in a bat costume for like a ten year old kid whose dad just got murdered. Surrounded by cops, and then this bat guy just comes and stares directly at him for 30 full seconds. Um, which reminds me, Alfred exists in this movie, barely. But yeah. he sees that, because Batman's re-watching the film, and he sees when he's staring at the kid, and he's like, oh, Batman's going to go after this guy now, you know? Like, he's not going to let this one go. Alfred is the one character that, because we skip all of the Bruce Wayne backstory, mm-hmm. it kind of gives short shrift to Alfred and Bruce's relationship. It, I think it tries... Once Alfred is injured, yeah. it tries to kind of bring that into it. Yep. But for the most part, it's just like, you know who Alfred is. Mm-hmm. We don't really need to explain that. And no. he's just kind of there. Andy Circus, I think, is good. Yeah, he's but fine. He's doing the business he, side of things, keeping things tidy. You know, that's that's pretty much it. So I'll, I'll keep reading Batman and Gordon to do so that the informant may be the penguin and track him to a drug deal. Uh, they discover that Maroney's operation never actually ended. And many GCPD officers are involved. Mm -hmm. Selina inadvertently exposes them when she arrives to steal money. As the penguin flees, Selina discovers Annika's corpse in a car trunk. Batman captures the penguin, but learns that he was not the informant. Mm -hmm. I am trying to find the words to really express how I feel about the Batmobile chase. Because I think it is terrific. (laughs) Um, The reveal. Because I hadn't seen pictures of it. I didn't know it was just like. A hot rod, yeah, you know, yeah, with and a you get jet engine on the back, <laughs> and you get multiple of like what I was trying to explain earlier. These moments where you know what's about to happen, and then you're anticipating, and then it crescendos. Or like you first get it, there's like almost this like false start, or like it yeah. sputters, and you're like, what's going to happen? And then it just roars. Yeah, the chase itself just thrilling, absolutely, and the way that it ends with. Oh, uh, when he when he goes up like the ramp, you yeah. know, he goes up the back of the truck because they're all crashing. Yeah, and exploding. And you think that the you think that Penguin might get away, mm-hmm. and he's driving up the the ramp, mm-hmm. and then we're with Penguin looking backwards, and it upside again down. it just it just we well not not upside down yet because the Penguin's just oh, driving, yeah, 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 yeah. and yeah. we sit in that moment, we soak in that moment for like ten seconds where fires behind him, yeah. and you're just waiting, you're like, come on, Batmobile, yeah. come on, Batmobile, where's it at? And then it just flies out. And this the shot, I think that both the the scene later on with lit by gunfire that we yeah. mentioned, coolest shot ever. Mm-hmm. My the second best shot is upside down watching Batman slowly walk. Yes. And we yes. it's like a it's at least like a 30 second shot oh, of just long. watching him walk. And the music is just Banging. Yeah. I mean, you're pumped. You're pumped. Yes. You're and it, and, fully it's, and he's just walking. But it just looks so goddamn good. Yep. Upside down in front of the flame. Mm-hmm. Amazing that shot. Is, it's just cinema. It it's all it is. is. It truly is. It is. It's an astounding shot after an astounding sequence, too. And, like, that's a lot of it's not CGI. Like, it looks, a, a lot of people are going to write it off and say, like, this was not practical effects. But, like, they jumped that car through a giant explosion. In, it sure looks in, like it's it. It's real. And it's, like, it's. Just really well done. And again, Colin, without Colin Farrell's maniac performance in that scene where, you know, that explosion happens. And he's like, I got you. Like, 
Yeah! He's like so fucking pumped. And then the look on his face when the Batmobile, you know, he starts seeing it. Like with I think without his stellar performance, it would have been totally different. But you are just so into all these emotions, and then your body's just so pumped for Batman to come out. You're like, fuck the penguins, you know, he's on top right now. It's just a just a miraculously good scene. And then when it ends and Batman has the penguin tied up, he's mm-hmm. questioning him. I mean, that's Colin Farrell's scene oh, to absolutely. shine. The whole Rada Alada yep. scene where he's helping him deduce, deduce yeah. these clues. Oh my god. He's his his performance is just delicious. Yeah, it really is. I am very happy that he's not dead. Yep. And that I I mean The end of this well, movie sets him up yeah, to be I, the next Falcon. I hope that he is the central villain in the next one. I yeah. don't think he will be based on what we see in the very end of this movie. I think he will. But um, I th- I'm well. I guess yeah. We got. I think we're gonna have three main villains yeah. here. But you know, in a flood, Penguin's gonna do well. <laughs> I will say. I will say. Batman and Gordon follow the Riddler's trail to the ruins of an orphanage operated by Bruce's parents, Thomas and Martha. They learn that the Riddler was a resident at the orphanage and holds a grudge against the Wayne family. Mm-hmm. To me, this is when the plot gets bloated. Yeah, um, definitely. Definitely. I don't need him to be like a childhood exactly. friend of Batman. I, the, the Batman universe has so much material to pull from. Yeah. And this is when it starts to feel like Matt Reeves was worried that this would be his only movie he makes. And he's like, we're going to throw in everything. Yeah, that, yeah. And at this point, I'm already invested enough. I don't need like the Waynes and the Arkhams and the mob and the Riddler to be intertwined. No. Like it, it just... Well, it's, everyone knows Bruce Wayne. The Riddler doesn't need to know Bruce Wayne personally. The whole city knows who Bruce Wayne is, knows his story, knows his parents' story. Yeah. Like, I get why you need the motivation for him to want to, you know, kill Batman or Bruce Wayne at some point. Um, but, like, you can just want to kill the rich kids. Like, you know, right. if you're the Riddler, I don't need that personal connection at all. That, that could have been the 20 minutes you saved right there. <laughs> I do think that Catwoman being Falcone's daughter... I do like that because like that, that really beefs up her story. And yep. I like that. I like their um, confrontation yep. later. Um, yep. That's like the only one of these strands mm-hmm. of like the yarn wall that I actually really enjoyed. Yes. Beyond that, it feels like, I mean, it feels like the story was written in a way that's just like uncuttable. Yep. Like they're in the cutting room. Like, what do we even take out? We take out any one piece. The whole house of cards falls, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because at that point, it's just too many things intertwine. Too many cooks. Um, Bruce's butler and caretaker, Alfred Pennyworth, is hospitalized mm-hmm. after opening a letter bomb addressed to Bruce. It was sad, you know. Yeah. It's it's sad because the moment when Bruce realizes what's going to happen, mm-hmm. that he's being targeted and that Alfred's going to be the one who suffers, mm-hmm. that's like the most emotion that we see this Bruce Wayne show. Yeah. Because, and, and especially because we didn't, like I said, we don't have much backstory of he and Alfred's relationship. But then it's like, you see in his urgency on his face, yeah. Alfred is all he cares about. Yep. And he's just racing to get there. Mm-hmm. I believe, is this when he becomes the flying squirrel or is that earlier? I, forget I was when just that trying to say, I was just going to ask you that same question because there, he should have died. 100% oh, when he hits should the, have died. <laughs> when he hit that bridge and that truck, I was like, there goes every bone in his body. There's no... <laughs> No material in the world that that bat suit could be made out of. That would he was going so fast and then just hit every hard surface in like a twenty foot area at like seventy miles per hour. You're dead. <laughs> He's dead. There's no way he survives that. It, I was like, 
And he just gets up and walks away. Like, with a slight limp. I was like, this is insane. It is insane. Took me out of it a bit. Um, but I did like the way that the flying was shot with, like, the camera on his head. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. And the, you know, it was, it, I think, a bat suit much more based in reality than, like, comic books of, like, you know, it was basically like a, a, I don't know what they call it, a squirrel suit or whatever. You want mm-hmm. a flying squirrel suit as opposed to like... Not uh, giant wings. Here's my wings that like are pretty impractical and probably wouldn't provide mm-hmm. enough lift. But yeah, that crash. Like, well, I wish I could just have a video of that because like that contact is just so hard and fast. Well, and all the... With the combat too, the impact of like punches and crashes yeah. are just so Bullets. tactile and brutal yeah. like every punch he lands on someone sounds like he just destroyed their skull i that was like, yes and that was almost one of my issues is like his punches land so much harder <laughs> and so much louder than everyone else's and i'm like no punch in the world makes these sounds <laughs> and like they're so loud so noticeably louder than other people's punches for some reason batman's punches are just like a fucking tiny fist-sized bomb going off every time <laughs> and i was like this is just insane but, you know, it kind of works, too, with the loud score and wanting him to be a badass and fighting everyone. But, man, those were loud punches. All right. The Riddler then leaks evidence that Thomas Wayne, who was running for mayor when he was murdered, hired Falcone to kill a journalist for threatening to reveal embarrassing details about Martha's history of mental illness. Bruce, who grew up believing his father was morally upstanding, confronts Alfred, who confirms the allegations, but states that Thomas decided to turn Falcone over to the police after learning of the murder. Alfred surmises that Falcone had Thomas and Martha killed to prevent this. And that was some great misdirection by Falcone. Yeah. Uh, in kind of convincing him that it was not him who had his father killed, you know? Because, yeah, you're, you're kind of right along with Batman for, for this part of the story. You know, you know, you know what he knows and that's it. And when Alfred kind of says it, it's like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a, I liked that little, that little journey, you know, Falcone took us on. Selina tells Batman that Falcone is her neglectful father. She learns that Annika was strangled because Mitchell told her that Falcone was the informant. Selina resolves to kill him. Batman and Gordon arrive at the Iceberg Lounge in time to stop her, but the Riddler kills Falcone. To me, this is the part of the movie where we take all those complexities and kind of like focus back on what's exciting. Yeah. Like the cat and mouse game or bat and mouse game Ooh. where the Riddler is right. Because the whole time the Riddler is, like you said, through a phone. Yep. But when he's right there in the window and you're like, fucking get him. Yeah. You got him. Go get him. And then it just goes back to that like Fincher serial killer mystery of trying to get this guy and figure him out. Um, I thought that Selena and Falcone's face off was great. Excellent. The way that she, you know, it's this, you know, when I mentioned Batman and Catwoman kind of being sort of like genderless, you know, in a way. And she walks into Falcone's boys club and you're like, oh, this is like. The most gendered, yeah. like macho room imaginable, and she and like the way he talks to his own daughter mm-hmm. is just gross as fuck. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. And then it, it it makes I feel like it just makes your skin crawl in a way that makes their fight so tense because yeah. you're like, like I said earlier, John Turturro is a great slime ball, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you are scared for her because their their fight is he almost kills her, yeah. you know. And then also like you want her to kill him, but Batman needs Falcone alive. Mm-hmm. There's just so many levels of tension yeah, in this scene. True. I really like it. It was great. It was great. I think any scene with him in it is uh, is a good one for me in this movie. But yeah, that confrontation's great. I'm, you know, 
I have a I have a nit to pick here, Nathan, too, because you know Joker's in the window. I do think this is Riddler. very Riddler's in the window. Sorry, um, there's this is very Fincher esque because you know the I think even the room that they go into looks like something out of Seven almost, mm-hmm. and then they go to the diner where he's sitting there by himself, <laughs> um, and that just it screams Fincher to me. But the nit I have is he goes over to this Greasy Spoon Diner and he's there for three minutes, and it somehow has somebody staffed there who makes. A question mark cappuccino. No, I, I got him. the idea that he made that question mark. How? I mean, who knows? Ugh. But I don't think he was like, hey, by the way, could you make a question mark? I don't know time? how he did it regardless. It's not like they're giving him a fucking cappuccino and then he's sprinkling cocoa. Maybe he is. I don't know. I like it took me out of it so much. I was like, that's such a dumb fucking gimmick to just like, we don't need that. Have it be, you might as well be like tea, tea leaves on the bottom of an empty tea glass that are in like a perfect question mark. Like, just fucking stop i don't need it man i don't need it <sighs> i missed one of my earlier nitpicks too what was it uh there's a scene where batman is in the police station this is earlier on gordon kind of brings him in i don't know why he's there actually there's this movie's too long <laughs> we can't remember so many parts of this movie uh but he's in the police station and there are in a room about this size and there are 60 For cops. For the listeners, this is um, an average-sized room. Average-sized room. <laughs> there are 60 cops, shoulder-to-shoulder, chest-to-back, like, crammed into this fucking room just to hear Batman, like, talk. I don't know why they want it. They want to unmask him, apparently. Um, and it's, like, just so dumb. I was like, who... Hey, what city has this many cops on duty at once in the same room? B, go do something else. And then, you know, he does the whole thing with Jeffrey Wright where he kind of pretends to, like, punch him and and then escapes. And upon him, like, running, all 60 of these cops start screaming at the top of their lungs (laughs) for no reason. And they do not stop the entire time they're chasing him. They are screaming. Adult men, adult, (laughs) full-grown humans here are screaming just nonsense while they're chasing. Not like, get him! Or, like... Hey, there he goes. It's just ah, 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 for like it's a minute and a half long scene. They're chasing him up the stairs, just screaming. And I was like, what was the direction here? Like, what was Matt Reeves like? All right, everyone just fucking scream at the top of your lungs until you until he gets away. I have never been like so upset and taken out of a movie by something. I was like, this is. Again, a lot of unnatural choices for characters and for all 60 to 70 of these cops, incredibly unnatural to just scream at the top of your lungs while in pursuit of somebody like it is. It makes no sense. If I ever get the chance to talk to Matt Reeves, that is my first question. (laughs) What the fuck was that? Well, I wonder if people, whether or not they were actually screaming on set or if it's like added in post where he's like, we need more chaos. No, they were screaming. They were screaming. It is honestly, I, when you watch it again, you're going to laugh. You're going to outright laugh at that scene because it is so outlandish and just makes no, it's the least grounded in reality thing I've ever seen in a movie. And I like, including fantasy movies. It makes no sense. There were a couple of moments in the movie that did make me laugh and like got a lot of laughs out of our crowd. Yeah. That I don't know if they're meant to elicit laughs, but with comic book movies, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of become a thing where like there's these big moments where people cheer yeah. and are so excited and loud. Reveals. But in this movie, every cheerworthy moment is so fucking loud mm-hmm. that you couldn't hear what anyone is doing. Yeah. Like I'm slapping my knee. I'm so excited. I can't hear it. Yeah. Just silent. <laughs> yeah. 
It's a loud movie. It's loud. It's loud. I'm trying to think of what mo- what moments we laughed at, but I'm, I'm sure there were a few in there. Let's keep going. Let's. Unmasked as forensics accountant Edward Nashton. The Riddler is incarcerated in Arkham State Hospital. Nashton says he was envious of the sympathy Bruce received after his parents' murder while he was ignored. This is the part that I mentioned earlier. I don't know if Paul Dano fully pulls off. I imagine this is a very tough scene yeah. for any actor. We're just focused on him in his cell. No disguise. No separation, mm-hmm. anything like that. He just has to give his crazy villain monologue. Yeah. And I don't think that I entirely bought it. No. Well, the Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Part, like, if you don't know that Batman is Bruce Wayne, why in the fuck are you saying it like that? <laughs> like, say, Bru- oh, we almost got Bruce Wayne. Almost did it, Batman. Instead of Bruce <laughs> Wayne. Like, six times. And, like, credit to Batman for just standing there and not being like, oh, He's fuck. like, oh, shit. Uh, Beads of sweat coming like, down his helmet. Yeah, that just makes no sense unless he knows Batman is Bruce Wayne. It makes no fucking sense to do that. I mean, that's I think that's where they want to lead your assumption is that he knows and then you, oh, he doesn't know. Yeah. He just, but I do like what comes next. <clears throat> I'll just read. Uh, the Riddler idolizes Batman, mm-hmm. who inspired him to target the corrupt and proposes a partnership. But Batman angrily rejects him. Yep. I thought that this was a pretty good twist. Where I liked that. We, this is where we really get into the philosophical and political message of the film, is that the Riddler genuinely sees himself and Batman as mm-hmm. wanting the same thing, yeah. like to arrive at the same end. This is not like a loot come to the dark side moment. Like He's not trying to convince Batman of anything. He just is like, we both want to root out evil. Let's yep. just do it together. Yeah. And I think his reaction when Batman rejects him, I think that was probably my favorite part of Paul Dana's performance when he just, it's anguish and he just screams like, no, that's not how this was supposed to go or something (laughs) like that, which was a a great line. Um, But yeah, I, I I appreciated that kind of twist where he's just like, yeah, I'm doing the same stuff Batman's doing. You know, he's, he believes truly that he's on the same level and it's kind of that, you know, that morality compass of what's good, what's bad, you know, and they both think they're doing good work you know they think they're bettering the world which is which is bonkers obviously but um kind of a cool moment i think we get to have between them there Mm -hmm. seeing the riddler's apartment batman discovers that nashton has stationed car bombs around gotham and cultivated an online following that plans to assassinate mayor-elect bella real the bombs destroy the breakwaters around gotham and flood the city i did not expect the scale of the story to expand like that like We've seen in like Batman Begins, Dark Knight Rises, where like suddenly the threat becomes citywide and yep. it's about saving Gotham. I thought that this was going to stay a much smaller, more focused movie. And then it just like, oh shit, this is a massive yep. catastrophe mm-hmm. that we have to fix somehow. Yeah. And I, mean, I thought it was pretty effective. Like oh, it, yeah. it was chilling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see what happens with the flooded city in Reminiscence. It exactly. Doesn't go well. Um, is this when you looked at me in the theater? That is exactly when I like. I literally bent forward and I was like, Nathan, this is turning into reminiscence. Um, but uh, yeah, I loved, and I, I think you know the this the fact that he's got you know five hundred some people on like his what looks like Instagram, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. um, who follow him. You know, I think sets the stage for like a you know obviously copycats kind of come into into the play of this, but like for future movies, if he's involved too, is that's only going to grow. Those numbers are probably only going to grow, especially after that big. After he does that, um, it's pretty wild. But I think like this Wikipedia bit really had left out the mayor who kind of plays a or mayor elect, uh, yeah. you know, kind of plays an important part. But um, yeah, the, the I don't 
I love the scale of it. I think the city's response to like this flood is terrible. Like, let's get them all in a giant circular room that's got a really low floor. Like, let's get them to the lowest point in Gotham uh, on a basketball court surrounded by stadium seating. Uh, it just seems strange to me. Uh, their choice there, and then everyone's choice to just walk in and go down the stairs. Like I would, and nobody looks up uh, in a flood to see the twenty people up above. Well, it's a sequel to Don't Look Up. That's oh, it. that could check out. That could check out. All right, a shelter is set up in an indoor arena where Nashton's followers shoot Rayal, but are stopped by Batman and Selina. Mm-hmm. I really like this whole climax. So this is where we get Batman fighting off dudes in the corridor, yeah, lit by the gunfire. That part was good. Um, similar to the Batmobile flying through the flames we get so batman's fighting basically just the the goons yeah all the dudes copycat guys um shoots the fire extinguisher Mm. white smoke yeah comes out screeching Mm -hmm. like you're waiting for that moment and then he just like comes out like a real bat Bat and he's just and he's just fucking shit up yep and and again it's those brutal punches and then you go from full-on like hell yes batman Mm -hmm. to the the guy being unmasked mm-hmm. and they ask who he is his i am vengeance yeah and they like all comes together where you're like damn this movie actually had something to say yeah yeah that's the thing that like i've been thinking about since i saw this of like yeah. you could go deep into real what this really applies to in yep. politics today but it's like man there's a lot of people who are on different sides of the political spectrum but who all think that yeah. they are fighting for good, yeah. like truly in their hearts, think that their people are the ones fighting evil yeah. in this world. This really can apply to so many political factions and mm-hmm. to just like so many of our problems is that we're all just so sure of ourselves yeah. that like, it's just, it's, I don't want to go get too deep into it, no, but it's but- like, there's clearly very inspired mm-hmm. by recent events, yes. but in a way that doesn't feel Force. Like it's trying, like it still feels timeless. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's trying yeah. to comment on any particular thing, yeah. but it's very applicable. Absolutely. I think it's a great commentary too on how a message can be kind of co-opted and, mm-hmm. and twisted and, and used kind of against its original intent too. Like Batman's out there, you know, stopping people who are stealing purses and beating people up for no reason. And these guys are out here shooting innocent people thinking that they're doing the same type of work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just crazy. And they're using, you know, the same, same catchphrase. Um, I, you know, you said that's kind of the only thing you've been thinking about. I've been trying to find where I can buy some of that injectable bang that he shoots oh my his leg God. at a certain point, because <laughs> that seems great. I mean, is that just like a drop canister? Like, what is oh, this? I, I assumed it was like adrenaline or something. Straight up adrenaline. I'm getting very conflicting anti-drug and pro-drug yeah, messages in this movie. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'd be a whatever that is head, not a drop head. Well, and, and that's the moment when it becomes kind of like an actual superhero movie. Yeah. Because it's like, he should be dying right now. Should he's be. just should be. using his last strength. And he already survived that parachute crash, so he's in, <laughs> he's apparently invincible. Um, I don't understand uh, the wire bits. Like, the yeah, dangling electrical I, wire. He's got, like, batarangs. He's got so much gear. Cut the fucking wire, Batman. You don't need to, like, jump on it. And <laughs> So, okay, was your understanding of that whole last moment that the electrical you know the cables and also like the jumbotron all that stuff it's all falling into the water Mm -hmm. about to which Mm -hmm. is going to kill all these people yeah so he cuts it there's like a 
burst of electricity. Yeah. He seems like maybe absorb it. I think he gets shocked. Yeah. And then it falls down disconnected from the cable. So like, it's okay. Yeah. And, and then nothing else falls basically. Correct. And he helps everyone out. Yeah. It's a little confusing to understand what happens. And also even once you get what happens, like, wait, is that actually how that would, uh, sure. And and like why? Yeah. It just seems like there's better fixes than the way he goes about (laughs) it. And then like, I don't know. Yeah. This is, again, there's just so many parts in this movie where I'm like, eh, really? Cause like, it's like these people are barely stuck under these metal things. And apparently Batman's yeah. the only one who can walk them across a fucking well, basketball yeah. court. And that part seemed more like metaphorical I, for I, like, I, he's helping them across. I the know, thing. but and I think there's, there's so many choices in this movie that the characters make that I think are only there to set up for cool shots. Like yeah. that, those choices for that overhead shot. Sure. When he rips up his carpet and, spray paints on his own floor and lays out all the stuff like, Oh no, maybe a table, Batman, maybe a fucking chalkboard. Like nobody's doing that. And it's like, just to set up these cool overhead shots. It's just, there's a lot of really not like sensical decision-making that happens in these movies. Uh, and I think it's mainly just set up really cool looking, beautiful shots. Cause we get that flare in yeah. the stadium, yeah. which is, I mean, look at that. It look looks that. gorgeous. Yeah. But like, <laughs> How we get there, just it's a, it's tough for me to buy. All right, last sentence. In the aftermath, Nashton befriends another inmate, while Selina deems Gotham beyond saving and leaves. Mm. Batman aids recovery efforts and vows to inspire hope in Gotham. Wow. Um, basically, we're left with Barry Keegan as, as Joker. Joker. Yeah, which I am real excited about. I, I mean, I think he's going to do great. Mm-hmm. It is disappointing that we are once again going to the getting joker. another joker movie yeah but we've had two really good ones yeah so he maybe is we're credited third. as unseen arkham prisoner so who knows <laughs> might be somebody else i was very excited if you don't know barry keegan watch the killing of a sacred deer to figure out how psycho he can be alternate option don't watch that movie i love that movie i know you don't like that movie i love that movie um i'm very excited to see what he can do with it his makeup from what you can barely see, looks pretty gnarly and cool too, but who knows? Are you ready for more? Uh, yeah, I do want more of this. I do want more of this. Me too. And I think that speaks volumes that a movie can have this many, I can have this many issues with the movie and still be like, yeah, I'll be there for the next one. Yeah. Opening night. Yeah, absolutely. Early if we can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's new. It's a cool way to do it. Pattinson, I'm not sold on. Honestly, I'm not sold on him as Batman yet. I think anybody could have just trained for those action sequences and done it. And everything else he does is pretty baseline in my mind. But everyone else I loved. I'm excited to see more of everyone else. I don't get... I think it's getting way too much. I think people are losing their minds about it. And it's. I think that's what's making me like it less. Because <laughs> it's the best you know, superhero movie. It's the best Batman. It's the best movie of the year. I'm just like... <sighs> That's why I do not want to spend any time comparing this to yeah. any Batman movies or really any superhero movies because yeah. I don't think that the filmmakers set out to make something that is comparable Agreed. to what's already out there. I think, I think they looked at, okay, we've done a lot with Batman already in the past like 40 years. Yeah. Let's do something really different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's awesome. It's cool. It's cool. It's new. I like it. I don't love it like you. I like it. And we'll see how good the next one is. Last thing. I don't think we've at any point mentioned that there's a romance between Batman and Catwoman. Is there? It's a. I mean, I mean they kiss yeah. like three times. Yeah, what's kissing between a bat and a cat? You know, I don't know. Did it work for you? Chemistry? Anything like that? Are you are you 
Will you feel something when they inevitably meet again? No, I don't think I will. Okay. It didn't really like, seems like she wasn't that into him. He was, he got a little kind of, you know, grabby initially. Um, I don't know what the, what's going to come of that. Do they date in all of them? Do they, or do they just kind of have a flirty back and forth? Yeah. I think it's usually just like a flirty back and forth. vibe. Yeah. It was good vibes, but you know, I don't think yeah. they're, I don't think he's buying a ring anytime soon. <laughs> Well, on that note, let's you and I ride off in the distance and go our two separate ways. All right, I like it. Uh, Three kisses and we're off. <laughs> you can find all of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm, pretty much wherever podcasts can be found. That's right. And if you like us or what we're spewing out of our mouths, feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. It's a great way for us to get a little boost. You can also grab some of your very own Fast Food Film Friends merch at FastFoodFilmFriends.com. And you can follow us Instagram, Facebook at Fast Food Film Friends, Twitter at FFFF Podcast, or email us at fastfoodfilmfriends at gmail.com to let us know what you want us to eat or watch next. Until then, farewell. farewell.